Welcome back to Yeehaw Junction. That's right. If you made it through all two and a half hours of the first episode and you thought, you know what? I think I like these clowns. I think I like listening to what these these music nerds have to say. Congratulations. I think you're stuck with us now <laughs> for however long we do this. And we're so happy about that. Uh, the two clowns I'm speaking of, of course, are uh, yours truly, Ricky Mast, my good friend, Ben Ingram. Uh, if you did, uh, if this somehow is your first episode and you missed the intro last week, the the Cliff Notes version is Ben and I work in baseball. We both work with the Atlanta Braves. Ben is the broadcaster, me in the social media and marketing side, digital marketing side. Uh, from February through what we hope is late October, early November every year, baseball kind of, that that takes over our lives. And we're happy about that. We love that. But when we're not talking about and working in baseball, Ben and I are pretty much always just talking about music. Mm-hmm. We are music junkies, music nerds, whatever you want to call us. That is what we are. And so we decided, to, hey, in the off season, what if we just got together and just talked about music and put on some, you know, put it on a put it on tape. We needed a channel to talk about these things. And I, I don't expect anybody to enjoy this outside of you and me. <laughs> no, I don't either. If anybody else does, that's actually icing on the cake. It's it'd be great. Yeah. It is. But yeah. we get to do what we want to do and talk about the things we like to talk about. And whether it's just you and me or there are other nerds out there that enjoy our nonsense, that's great too. Well, I've been telling some friends and folks around the office that you and I are doing this and the amongst i've kind of spread it amongst fellow music nerds that are out there right and all of them are so excited to hear it and i'm like cool don't get your hopes <laughs> ben and i had a blast with the first episode right. we're, we've been texting about the second episode we're having fun but still keep those te- keep those expectations at a you know if, if you set the bar low enough then your expectations will be exceeded you can't be disappointed that's right so, well, last week we had a lot of fun talking about time machine concerts. What, mm-hmm. If we had a time machine, what artists would we go see? What year would we go see them? That was a lot of fun. Uh, I was actually telling my, uh, I had a, a family FaceTime with my parents back in Virginia. One sister is in Virginia. The other sister is in uh, Vail, Colorado. And we try to have family FaceTimes occasionally. So I was telling them that you and I were doing this. And I was mentioning who some of the artists were on our lists and, it pleased Papa Rick a lot to know that we both had Waylon Jennings on our list. Yeah, good. And um, that ha- I, I learned something in, dis- in, in talking with my family about my mom that I didn't know. I knew that she and dad went and saw Waylon back in the days that you and I wanted to see him multiple times. Right. Uh, mid, late 70s, early 80s. But she said, have I ever told you who my first concert was? And I was like, no. She goes, it was Rod Stewart at University Hall at University of Virginia. Really? Yeah. And her second concert, Ike and Tina Turner. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, well, that's 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 not bad. some bangers to begin yeah, with. Not not bad. Not bad. So that was kind of cool. So Yeehaw Junction, you know, bringing families closer together already. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, so getting right into it. This this episode, so this was you and I are aiming for about 12 episodes this first right. season, this first run of this. And we're, we're having so much fun. I, I dare say we'll probably do this again next offseason. But the initial run, 12 episodes. So we each kind of came up with some ideas for topics, sent them to each other. And we said, all right, well, let's take, let's each, let's combine our list, take our best 12 that we each think are the best 12. And we had right off the bat, I think 11 out of 12. And quickly we're like, all right, let's do this one for the 12. Yeah. Um, this was actually the very first topic that I had as an idea for if I ever did a music podcast. Um, the album that inspired it is on my list. Uh-huh. Um, I have made a list of 10. Uh, 
with a, a bunch of others, <laughs> but 10 is, is kind of where I, I settled at. But this, this is favorite side of an album. So favorite side of a vinyl record. Um, doesn't mean you're limited to a certain time span because especially now vinyl is back now. So, and there's my list you're going to see it's, there's some recent ones. Um, right. And there's some, some 50 year old ones in there uh -huh. too. So this was fun doing this, but I ended up, this ended up being, I, I might've put more time into this episode than I did studying all five years of college. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was thinking to myself doing this and, um, the other day, I'll just give you an example. The other day, I'm talking to my girlfriend. What are you doing? I'm putting together this stuff for our podcast. She said, how many nights are you going to work on this? <laughs> and I said, this is probably the only time where I'm going to need multiple sittings to prepare for one of these podcast episodes. Uh, I think next week, we're doing our next episode, we're talking about what we're listening to senior year of high school. That's going to be awesome. I'll, I'll be able to sit down in an hour tops and knock that out. This took uh, multiple sittings. It took lots of Google searches. It took lots of going to my my Apple Music and re-listening to uh, songs that will make the cut. And I, I found it interesting because you and I were texting and discussing how this is going and things like that. And I think we had different approaches for this, which which really makes this interesting for me. I, I was very, very strict. I mean, I was listening to albums over and over and over and over again, sides of albums over and over again. Who's going to make the cut? And, and I had it to where... Let's say there would be let's let's say there are five songs on on one side of a of an album I was really considering, and four of them could be just treasures. And if one of them didn't match up, I said it's it's out. Okay, it's done. I, I went for sheer perfection, first song to last song on one side, and then you and I are discussing, and you tell me the way so, you're looking about it. So I originally approached it that way, and I and as I said last week, I'm never going to approach this of like. When we come up with a list, I'm never going to say this is the definitive. These are the best of all time. Right. I'm always going to say these are my favorites. Mm -hmm. or, these are ones that mean something to me. Now, that being said, I still have first approached it with these have got to be there can't be a miss on any. There has to be no misses. For the most part, there isn't on right. mine as far as a single song on a side. But there were so many choices when I so I first went through my vinyl collection and then I just scrolled through my Apple Music and I went through everything and my initial list, I counted this earlier. I had 49. Uh, Did you really? I had 49, which is way too many. And that was being pretty <laughs> liberal with like, even some that is, as I was going, I was like, I don't think there's any way this wouldn't make a top 10 for me, but right. I'm going to write it down anyways. And then I'll narrow it down. Uh, and I did narrow it down, but then getting it to under 20 was, was challenging. And where I finally had to, it, it was don't get me wrong. This was all fun doing this because literally the research is I'm listening to music I love right. and then reading about it. So that's great. But at some point I just had to go, okay, I, I've got to approach this a different way. Otherwise I'm going to show up uh -huh. to record with Ben and I'm going to have 38 albums. And that's just, that's insanity. So what I ended up doing was I've got a, a mixture of 10 and some honorable mentions, but the 10 I narrowed it down to for the most part, these are albums that had an, an impact or sides of albums that had an impact on me at some point in my life. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll get into that. There are a couple that aren't as personal, but I love that side of an album for whatever reason. And there are there's one or two on here where there's a song or two that I might would skip over. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think in. If we're in court, I'm prepared to defend all of my choices. Right. right. You know? And there is there's approaching it that way. 
instead of going for like these are the best of all time and just going for like you know what these are this is a side of an album that i just randomly in some cases loved and still do i've got a couple let's see probably three maybe four what you could consider like real wild cards and yeah that are see i think completely that's where, random I so think random that's where we approach this similarly was this is these are our favorites yeah. if you were to look at a top 10 list or whatever some of these might be on there or a top like you mentioned the rolling stone 500 album list uh, there are some on here that that would probably on that list somewhere but some of these are not at all but that's not that's not the criteria here you and i were talking about these are sides of albums for albums that at one point or another in our life uh you felt an emotional connection to you just really enjoyed it it meant something to you and that's lasted the test of time so i think that's a, a pretty cool way to approach it oh 100 and my hope for this is look the main purpose and i don't mean this to sound selfish but the main purpose of the show for us is really for you and me this yeah. is something fun for you and me to do together and just to hang out and talk about but i do hope that for people who are listening when they listen to a show like this their reaction isn't to want to argue with something we're saying right the list we have but rather one of two things or one of three things either a hey that's great i love that album too or i love that band too would love to see them then that sort of thing b i don't know much about that artist or that album i'm gonna go check that out yeah or three and i think this is probably the predominant one is i hope they listen they enjoy it and then it makes them think of what are my favorite sides of albums? yeah you know and i yeah. think that would be i think that would be my end goal with it so that's how we're approaching it this is this is two friends who who were just sharing stuff that we like and mm -hmm. and that's where we ended up now i did try to be pretty pretty critical with this so let's all right well i know last week we kind of went back and forth and i thought that worked pretty well i do too and, and can i have a selfish request please can you start off with the album that you said inspired this episode sure. or you want to save that for last uh no no actually and it wasn't going to be it was going to be next to last but honestly it can go anywhere so i can i can start i don't want to throw you off no no, no no we can do that cool the one i have saved for last that was the only one that i'm i'm definitely just saving it for last okay because it's i mentioned the personal thing the side of that album is deeply personal to me. okay so uh but yeah no i'd be happy to that'd be a great place to start right actually. on yeah so uh, i i bragged on not bragged on i talked about my love for this band last week this is the side of the album that in, inspired this topic in me. So I talked a little bit about my love of Thin Lizzy last week. Mm -hmm. If you were to go, so uh, this is another thing I had in my mind when deciding on some of these albums and things. If somebody said, you know, what, what album should I start with with this band? The popular answer would be Thin Lizzy's biggest album, which was Jailbreak. And I love that album too. But my choice for this, side one of uh, their album, Fighting. It is, there's five songs, side one, and I'll run through them real quick and then I'll get into what inspired the whole topic. So the first track is called Rosalie. It's actually a Bob Seger song, Bob mm -hmm. Seger cover. And this was, these are one of those rabbit holes that I think you and I both really love going down. So Rosalie is, Bob Seger actually wrote it about a real woman named Rosalie uh, Trumbly. She was a Canadian music director of a top 40 station. It was CKLW, also known as the Big Eight. She was known for her ability to select songs, I'm reading from Wikipedia on this, that would later become big hits. So she broke artists such as uh, Aerosmith, Bob Seger, Alice Cooper. And what's interesting is, so Bob Seger wrote this song about her, but there's some, like, there's some uh debate as to whether or not 
he meant this as a tribute or if he was just frustrated that she wasn't playing his stuff at really? this point in time. Yeah, yeah. So so um, here, I'll read you the, the clip on this. Trumbly was immortalized by Bob Seger in his 1973 song, Rosalie. Let's see. Song was later covered by Thin Lizzy, which is the version I love. She, he wrote it in frustration and not being able to get his songs played on her station at that time. There's differing stories concerning her reaction. Some said she hated it. Some said that she thought it was flattering. Either way, she wouldn't play that particular song because it was a conflict of interest for her to be putting a song that was written about her in huh. rotation. Had they ever met before? I think they were at least aware of each other. Okay. At least that is my, that's my interpretation uh, of it. So, and there, there's, there's different comments out there on it, but it, uh, great song, just a great rock and roll tune. So it's interesting Thin Lizzy started off this album with a cover, but it's just a great rocking song uh, to start the album off with. The second song is called For Those Who Love to Live. I love this song so much. It's never, Phil Lynn and never the lead singer, main driving force of Thin Lizzy, never said that he wrote this song about George Best, the soccer player. But he would always dedicate this song to George Best, the uh, Irish soccer player. He and George Best were, were buddies. Now, I'm not a, a soccer aficionado. I don't know much about the history of it. But I did watch, I love sports documentaries. There's a great sports documentary on George Best. That if you don't know anything about him, Cliff Notes version is, hell of a soccer player. Uh, Irish was on Manchester United, I think, uh, starting at a young age in the 60s, I believe. Won a league title. Superstar. Is still considered, from what I've read, one of the greatest soccer players of all time. He also battled alcoholism basically his entire adult life. And it's ultimately what led to his death uh -huh. about 20 years ago. So for those who love to live is just this, this great song. That's really it's, it's you it's the whole preface or the whole point of it is. So let me give you a little line from it. It's, um, Oh, the boy, he could boogie. Oh, the boy, he could kick a ball. Oh, the boy, he got hung up making love against the wall. And it's like, you got to give a little love for those who love to live. So it's like, yeah, this person's kind of out of control a lot of the time, but they love to live. That's the whole point of it. So it's a great rock song. I wish it had been a single or a hit for Thin Lizzy. It wasn't. Let me ask you this. When, when his career was at his peak, how old was Phil? Was, was he a kid looking? Is this a, a kid looking up to? Or nah. is this, is a, he was an adult already? They were adult. Like they hang, there's pictures of them like hanging out, like, yeah. like drinks in hand, okay. that kind of thing. I'm yeah. just curious if, if he's a guy that, that, that Phil would have watched similarly to how you and I would have watched Chipper Jones as kids or something like right. that. Or if it's someone that's uh, of my current age um, that, that's playing gonna, as I'm an adult. I'm going to. Where their where where careers are climaxing at the same time. Sure. So let's see. George was born in 1946. And Phil, uh, he was about the same, I believe. Okay. I'm going to look it up. He was born in 49, so about the same age. Uh, but he was, George Best was Phil's favorite soccer player. Okay. And so the the character in the song is named uh, Jack. I think that was more of a rhyming thing. It's it's If you read the lyrics to it, it's pretty much, you can infer. And again, Phil would dedicate to George every live performance. And then if you go back and watch this documentary and learn a little bit about the life of George Best, I mean, he was... I mean, alcoholism, that was that it, it battled him from the time he became an adult all the way to the grave, basically. So, huh. uh, but still great song. So um, and then real quickly. So Suicide is the third track. It's actually it's not as, as gloomy as it sounds. It's a fun little just rock song, actually inspired by an episode of Perry Mason. Really? Phil Lennett saw an episode of Perry Mason and wrote a song about it. 
the fourth track, there's a big reason why I love this out of the album. My favorite Thin Lizzy song, I think I mentioned it last week, Wild One, just one of my favorite all-time songs. Top 10 favorite song, just a, a great song that's it's about the difficulty of being away from someone you love. And it's just a beautiful song. And then the fifth song is the, I guess you would still call it the title track. The album title is Fighting. The song is called Fighting My Way Back. You know, pretty straight to the point. It's, yeah. it's, it's adversity fighting your way through it, upbeat rock song. So when I first started collecting vinyl a few years ago, going back when I was a teenager, I mean, I was a big CD guy. I've got stored away probably 600 CDs. Uh, when vinyl started making a come, like really a big comeback within the last about five, 10 years, I got interested in starting to collect some vinyl. And my whole goal with that has been to not collect as much vinyl as possible, but I've told my, my now wife, I said, you know, part of my, or a big part of my reason for this is if we ever have kids, I want my kids to grow up in a house where there's physical pieces of music and I want them to be vinyl where they can take the vinyl out and they can look at it mm -hmm. and they can actually physically touch the cover and they can pull the liner notes out of it. So me being a big Thin Lazy fan enjoying this album, this was, I think this was, this was the first vinyl I bought um, when I started collecting again. Mm -hmm. It was the first one. Uh, it was at the store that used to be in the battery here in Atlanta. Really? Yeah. The Waterloo Sunset. Yeah. I uh, went down and, and just for whatever reason, mainly because I love Wild One. And so that being my first vinyl I bought, uh, I just was listening to it a lot. And I noticed one day, I like Side B of the album too, but I noticed one day, I'm like, I never get tired of Side A. Yeah. It is, this is one, there's not a miss on this one. Yeah. It's all five. I can... They burn them down all day long and they're perfectly sequenced too. It's one of those where you mention it and I want to go listen to it because there's only two songs on that side of that album that I'm really familiar with. And and the funny thing is you mentioned live and dangerous last week. Mm -hmm. um, that was actually, that album is the first time I ever heard the song Rosalie. Yeah. Me too. I, I never heard it, a, a, a studio version of that. Uh, I never heard a Seeger version of that. Uh, the first time I ever heard it was on that live album, which it's not often that the first time you hear a song is on a live album. It, it isn't, but it's funny you say that because that was my first time hearing it. Yeah. Because when I heard the studio version, the live version, they do this cool little breakdown that incorporates a, a little section of another song of theirs, uh, a cowboy song. Mm -hmm. And in the studio version, that's not in there. It's just the straight like cover with no uh, little little breakdown. Uh, and I've got, I've come to love both, but I actually, that's how I found the song too. Early in my Thin Lizzy fandom was uh, Live and Dangerous. Mm -hmm. And that was how I first came to, it's funny, it's not often that's the case. Um, some of my Metallica songs, which you didn't listen last week, I am a Metallica fan. Oh, that reminds me, I want to preface all of this with one other thing. I have set a rule for myself. I'm only picking one album per artist. Okay. Because if I don't, rule. if I don't. We'll be here all night talking about two or three bands. Well, here's the good thing. I, I can't wait to see which Metallica side we have, because I know you've got one. Okay. I think I've you, got one, too. Okay. Oh, do you? I do. Oh, that makes me happy. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I, now I'm... All right. Well, you know what? Before we make those picks, we'll have to each take a guess with the other We will. Okay. All right. Perfect. All right. Sorry. So, but Thin Lizzy Fighting, if you've never heard that album, go listen to it. It is... It's fantastic. Um, you're going to hear a lot of me talking about Thin Lizzy on yeah. the show. I'm going to be beating that drum a lot. I love that. You know, when it comes to these, I don't know how I wanted to approach this at first. Um, you know, I first started, it's like, well, I'm, there are bands where I want to have uh, one of their albums on there. And I did that twice. But I, after doing that, I kind of took a different approach and thought to myself, when I'm listening to albums and different from just listening to a single, different from listening to uh, a playlist, 
There are certain moods that when I'm in those moods, when I'm feeling certain emotions, I want to listen to this album or this artist. Um, I, I, I think about the mood I'm in when I'm in the gym. I, I, I have plenty of playlists, but I, there are multiple albums that I will go to because I'm in the gym and I'm doing some kind of physical activity and I want to listen to this album. Uh, there are albums that I have on here because of uh, I'm, I'm going out with my friends and I'm, I'm listening to this or uh, et cetera. But there's there's one album that jumped out to me, and I want to start with this one just because I, I kind of want to kind of build up and start with the slow stuff and get it out of the way before we get to the exciting stuff. Okay. There there's a there are multiple artists that I enjoy listening to when I'm feeling, um, I don't want to say down, but melancholy, or you're just it, it's not been your best day, or you're just, you're just in a funk. Hundred percent. Um, and, and you know who those artists are, and you go to them when you're just not having your best day, or you're just feeling a little bit blue. And, and one of those artists for me is Chris Christopherson, and I'm just I love Chris Christopherson. There are times where if I'm feeling whatever, I'm just not uh, in a great mood. Uh, and, and I hate to say that because I don't want it to have a negative connotation on Chris, but uh, I will just like to pick an album. There's so many of his albums where I just want to listen to it because I want to listen to his stories. I just want Chris to tell me a story and his songs do such a great job of that. I've said before, I don't understand how anybody who listens to country music can listen to any Chris Christopherson album. And then pine for what is currently <laughs> put out as country music these days. It's, different it's world. so incredibly shallow compared to the depths of creativity uh, and storytelling and, and illusion that, that Chris uses. So there are multiple albums I can choose from. I think a lot of people would go directly to Christopherson, uh, his first album. I go to his third album, and it might not be his most popular, but his third album is a 1972 album called Border Lord. And the first side of that album has these songs that are just filled with creativity, filled with storytelling. There are five songs on the on this first side of Border Lord. Josie, Burden of Freedom, Stagger Mountain Tragedy, Border Lord, and Somebody Nobody Knows. And you can just take your pick because if, if you just sit there and let your mind follow the song, it's almost like reading a book, where if you're reading a book and you're kind of it's all coming together in your mind. You got You get to create it in your mind. I, I listen to Josie, or I listen to Burden of Freedom. I listen to uh, Stagger Mountain Tragedy. These are songs. Stagger Mountain Tragedy is about a murder. Uh, Burden of Freedom is a song, and, and the illusion at the at the beginning of the song is so real, where he talks about standing on the stairway with 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 the open air in front of him and the dungeon behind him, and he's escaping something. And at first, I feel like he's escaping. Um, a, a, a relationship that he wants to get out of, and he, he just can't wait to get up those stairs and get to freedom. And then the more I listen to the song, I can't tell if it's about that or if it's a, a spiritual song where he's turning his life around and he's going because he, he asked for God to help me to be the best that I can, uh, help me to be what I can. And I just think about there are plenty of times in my life where I, you, I think a lot of people would feel this way, where you've been on that staircase and you don't want to go back to where you just were. You know the depths of that dungeon and you see freedom right up at the top of the steps. And I think for an artist to put that in a song is just mind-blowing stuff. So um, that's my first pick, Side One, Border Lord. Um, I, I mentioned the, some of the songs on here, the last song, Somebody Nobody Knows, and he's talking about a woman sitting at a bar, and she's looking at the mirror in the reflection of the bar and seeing other people who are in the bar, 
and nobody knows who she is. And I think there's a comfort in being in a place where nobody knows anything about you. And it's these ideas that he comes up with and he writes all these songs. And I think to myself, how does a human brain come up with some of these concepts for writing a song? I think he's maybe the most fascinating songwriter I've ever heard. And you know his hits, Bobby McGee, et cetera. And those are incredibly uh, uh, unique and complex songs. But that's just a, a little bit of a dive into the world of Christopherson and how deep his songwriting is, how creative it is, and how you can just put on the album and listen to it and let him tell you a story. It becomes kind of a movie in your mind, which is very fascinating. So That is very cool. That's my first choice. He's somebody that I've never really done a much of a deep dive on. I've never listened to it much. And he's one that I need to. I think in my I think I tried to when I was much more when I was a much younger guy, uh like teenager, uh maybe early twenties. And I don't think I was emotionally mature enough or maybe just musically not maybe i wasn't musically mature enough to appreciate it and that's when i need to go back and do a deep dive on i will say i went to uh, i've been to a couple been i've been to bonnaroo a couple times in the last uh, 2008 and 2010 so both been a been a minute yeah uh, i believe it was 2010 where he was there and i managed to in bonnaroo like a lot of music festivals there's there's like eight stages there are artists playing at the same time in all these stages and you end up with conflicts and choices that you have to mm-hmm. make. But I did manage to catch part of his set one day. Did you really? I did. And I enjoyed it. And I don't think that day I was absorbing the music as much as I was appreciating seeing a, a legend, even if I wasn't yeah. intimately like um, aware of his music or his catalog. I was just sitting there just watching, enjoying watching somebody that was a legend. I mean, I'm like, this is this is the man that played with Waylon and Willie and Johnny. Yeah. On the highway, highway man. man. Yeah, yeah. Like this is the guy. Uh, on a funny note, when I was a kid, I loved the uh uh the Pee-Wee Herman uh movie Pee-Wee Under the Big Top. Not the first one, but like the follow-up. Yeah. And Chris Christopherson is like the main co-star. It's funny that he's in he's in Blade. He's in Blade. He just shows up. <laughs> it's like when you see like when Dwight Yoakam has a, a cameo in the beginning of Wedding Crashers yeah. as like a guy getting divorced. You know, and, and like I'm like, is that a cleanly shaven Dwight Yoakam just told that lady to suck his left nut? Is that he just is that Dwight Yoakam? Uh or he's like this evil guy in Sling Blade or whatever. But yeah. but uh yeah, it's it's Chris Christopherson's one of those people that whether you like his music or not, what fascinating like American life that man's or just a fascinating life mm-hmm. the man's lived. So uh well that's cool. I and now I'm gonna have to go uh, check that album out and listen to it. I was thinking as you first read off the album titles, I I googled it, brought up on my screen here real quick, and I went, man, there's some badass titles. Yeah, like even the what was the uh, the fifth one that somebody nobody knows. I'm like, it just rolls nicely off the tongue. I'm like, that sounds like a great country song. It yeah, sounds like a well written classic. Just some song. of these songs where I'm he'll start singing lyrics. I'm thinking, how did he think of that? How did he think of that? How did he think of this? <laughs> right, yeah. It's like one word to the next, one line to the next, and who who thinks of these things? So. It's it's like it's how I feel a little bit about like like Jason Isbell today. Mm-hmm. Very uh, much so. Me, uh, Ryan Bingham is one of my all time favorites. Uh, I, oddly enough, he's not he's not on my list today, and he is one of like every yeah. year when I do my yeah. top. Like if I check my Apple Music and it does the who I listen to the most each year, he's always going to be on there. Right. Uh, but he did, and I can sit here and listen to his albums in their entirety and love them. Yeah. But there just wasn't a side that like made it. So. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably going to be the case with a lot of our favorite artists. It is. And there are a couple in here that 
Because there are so some random. we mentioned last week that are nowhere near my list this year or there's, this uh, week. Oh, yeah. There's, there's multiple. And there are a couple in mind that I'm like, one in particular, I think you're going to be like, really, dude? Uh, maybe two. <laughs> but it just so happens that they had one album or there was a it hit at the right time. So, OK, so Chris Christophe. So, I'll, you know what? I most of these have personal meaning to me. This one is less personal. Uh, and it's just an album that I think just kicks ass. It's just a rock and roll record that just doesn't miss, especially on the first side. Really, it's a it's a it's a four side. Um, it came out in two thousand five, I believe. So it's is a side A, side B, side D, A B C D, A and B together. I kind of was hoping when I first went to look and see. It's on my list to buy a vinyl. I don't own it yet. Uh-huh. I was hoping that all the first six songs would be on one side because I'm like, there's not a miss, right? But the top three are on side A, and it's fine. Uh, a band that I had when they first came out about 20 years ago, I had high hopes that they were going to be the next big thing. And they should have been on that first album. They're still around, but they've just, in my opinion, never really have lived up to it. Uh, Australian band called Wolf Mother. Oh, yeah. Uh, Wolf Mother's self-titled debut. If you're wanting a, and I love that it's modern as a relative term, I guess, but 2005, I'm going to consider that modern. Because you and I, we like a lot of people, we live so much in the the Zeppelin, Skinner, 70s era. Uh, But that Wolf Mother album, the first half of it, it just does not miss. So the first three tracks, so the side A, it's just three songs. It's Dimension is the opening track. It's just a fun, like upbeat opening track. The second track on side A is, that's the biggest reason this is on here. I like all three. The third song is Woman, which was a a hit. Those are first single off the I album. I think wasn't Woman it? was the first single. That's the yeah. one that's the first one I remember hearing off that album. Woman, The Joker and the Thief, which yeah. would be side B, uh, was a huge hit. Uh, but there's a song called White Unicorn, and it is track two on this album. And I, I look, I don't know every single rock song that's come out in the last 20 years. But if if there's a list of just the most kick-ass rock songs that have come out in the last two decades, White Unicorn might be at the top of my list. Mm. It is that good. Mm-hmm. It is phenomenal. It's the kind that's so good that I'm at the gym listening to it and I become like a little kid envisioning I'm the one up there singing it and then like kicking, like just getting the crowd, like burning the house down with this song. So uh, again, there's not a deep personal meaning. I do. It does take me back like most music to when I first heard it. Uh, I was building a little cabin on my family's land up in Virginia long before I ever thought I was going to move away to Atlanta and work in baseball. I thought I was going to live in Virginia forever. So the, the summer that I started building this house, I got this album and listened to it a lot. And it's almost 20 years later and I can still burn the thing down and love every second. The of first it. time you heard it, was it on the radio? Where did you hear them for the first time? Radio. I was at that time. I listened to a lot of, um, this is 2005, 2006. So 2006, I guess I had XM radio in my car as before the merger with Sirius. Yeah. And this is back in the days of, if you had a satellite radio, most of the time that meant you had like the big brick receiver like mm-hmm. mounted mm-hmm. somewhere on your dash and you had that big magnetic antenna on top. Uh, so I think I heard it on uh, one of the Sirius XM stations, but I heard it on whatever the whatever the kind of modern mainstream right. rock channel was. Right. And I don't know which song it was I heard first, but uh, whichever one it was, I liked it. I thought the album cover looked kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of badass, like old, like art looking cover yeah i like the name wolf mother certainly an attention getter for that year because it made you think about those bands you mentioned from at that time 30 20 years ago 30 years ago and i remember there was like a this a reaction to them kind of the same as what greta van fleet got Uh when they first started of some people like us loved it because it 
it harkens back to like that Led Zeppelin sound, which I'm totally fine with. Like, take it and run with it. Yeah. There's going to be music that sounds like other music that came before it. That doesn't mean it's bad or unoriginal. Uh, but I remember there was this kind of, there was some pushback out there like, oh, it's a Led Zeppelin wannabe. I'm like, I, I, even if that's true, this is a wolf mother album these are their songs and these songs are awesome yeah so good yeah so not a deep personal meaning on this one this is just one like if i am wanting to just put on a rock and roll record that's a little more modern uh and that just doesn't miss for a side or even this case two sides wolf mother's self-titled debut i will stand by that all day it's phenomenal it's funny because i remember the first time i heard it i was working for a sports radio station and one of the guys on our show big metal guy big big metal guy um, and we were always looking for new music for, for bumpers for the show to come back and break from. And he's one who introduced me to Wolf Mother and said, these guys are going to be huge. Similar to what you were saying, it, it, it's like they say all the time, you've got your entire life to write your first album. You got 18 months for the next one. And, mm-hmm. and so many times that first album is just through the roof and then it all just kind of tapers off after that. The sophomore album is usually, it is often the proving ground. Yeah. Now I will still, I'll always love the first one. Uh, it's, it's a shame. I don't feel like they've ever really matched up to, or they haven't in my, in my opinion to that first one. But, uh, I would, if they were coming to town tonight, I'd go see them just yeah. because I love that first yeah. album so much. The first album is enough for me to always be a fan of it. Yeah. Side A, Wolf Mother. Awesome. Outstanding. Oh, uh, let's see. Where do we want to go? Um, all right. Like I said, there are two bands, two groups that I wanted to be on this list, but it was a matter of which albums. Um, so let me go with this band. I, I knew I wanted a Queen album on my list, um, but it's not a night at the opera. It's not uh, anything after that. And they have, they have so many enormous hits and everything. I go back to uh, 1974, Side One, Sheer Heart Attack. And that's the third album. I think it was Queen One, then Queen Two, and then Sheer Heart Attack. Uh, but that's with Killer Queen, uh, et cetera. But that side of the album is Brighton Rock, Killer Queen, Tenement Funster, Flick of the Wrist, Lily of the Valley, Now I'm Here. Um, those songs, and the reason I chose that one, and, and the reason I like that whole side of the album so much, it, it all sounds like one song. It flows they, they've got back audio tracking with um, uh, different noises, ambient sound. I think the record starts off with it. It, it sounds like they're, somebody's walking down the street and your cars and bells and things like that. And it's like you're kind of walking. It's like, almost like you're walking down the street and you walk into a venue, the st- right into the studio. And then here comes the, the music. And one song just goes right to the other. I think the only song that really stands out as being separate is Killer Queen because it is, you know, it's, it's the hit of the album. And it starts with the snapping, and it's, it's real poppy. But once they finish that song, um, Tenement Funster is actually not even sung by Freddie Mercury. That's um, the, the drummer, Roger Taylor, okay. who, who's the he, he's singing the song. Um, I think the vocals on Lily of the Valley for, for Freddie Mercury are outstanding. It's very uh, operatic. It's very... Um, uh, very produced, obviously, but I just love the way that those songs, especially the last four songs of that side, really flow together. And there are a couple of songs in there where if you weren't paying attention, it'd go from one song to the other and you'd think it was still the previous song. So it, it all just flows together. And I remember the first few times I heard it, I, I was like, wait, which song is which? Wait, right. what, did, did, did that last song stop or is it still that song? And you have to go in there and really give it a close ear to hear for one song stops and the other one begins. So I just like the way that it flowed together. 
And uh, like I said, I knew I wanted the Queen album on there because when I listen to Queen, I'm listening to the album. It's very rare that I will listen to one of their um, just singles. And they've got a million singles. I mean, they're all over uh, radio and especially back in that time. But I love their second album, their third album. Um, and I'd say even going into night at the opera, I think those are all, uh, their albums where they have songs that you're familiar with their albums where you have, uh, singles that were played for, for radio, but I just like how you can listen to them from start to finish. And those are definitely my favorite of, of their albums. And I think that sheer heart attack album was the one to me that it was a little bit easier to pick a side where it all just kind of flow together. I love that. I, I, I looked at trying to, I looked at picking a queen album and I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't come up with the right relationship that I have with one single side that, that was perfect. Like, yeah. that one. and maybe it's because I spent too much time. Like I have like their greatest hits on, on vinyl, had it on CD back in the day. And I, I maybe have not spent enough time with the studio versions, but I will say when the movie came out, what, four or five years ago, yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody, Enjoyed the movie, but that was what I loved about the movie was that it caused me to actually go back and start listening to more Queen than I would I'd listened to before. And it's kind of like I mentioned last week uh, with Tom Petty and discovering that there's so much more than I, I even knew about just by doing that real deep, deep dive. Uh, that's as I keep pulling on that thread that is Queen's discography, I keep finding yeah. more like that. So. And I don't know that I've ever given Sheer Heart Attack a proper like listening to all the way through. It's that. a rock album. Yeah. It, it's a rock album of the time. It will make you think of Zeppelin. I mean, it really will. Really? Um, I think those early albums, because Queen 2 had, it was, a, it was a white side and a black side. And all the, the, the first half of the album is, um, it, it's, it, it's almost, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's almost royal. You're talking about knights and you're talking about things like that. And you have the, almost like the good side. And then you flip to the second side and it's the dark side. It's the, the March of the black queen and stuff like that. And, um, it, it's very, it's much darker. I, and I think those two albums are really good rock albums of the era that fit the era and, and everything after that. I don't well, I shouldn't say everything after that. I, I think that there are songs on night of the opera that are similar to that. But after that, it was very much arena rock. Here are the singles, here are the hits. And very different from another one bites the dust. Very different from um, even Fat Bottom Girls and things like that. And I love those songs, but it's just a very different era for that band. That I think that early era is much more of the the rock of the time kind of sound. The level of musicianship by that band, and the level of talent, but then also the the work, the hard work that they clearly put in. I mean, as far as just just from a production standpoint of what that band did during their, their run while mm -hmm. Freddie was still here, mm -hmm. it's hard to, in some way there's, there's, there's not many that rival them. I'm not even talking about the, whether you like the songs and how you could stack up their songs against other band songs. It's just the musicianship and the really the lofty aspirations they would have when they would go into making an album. And I think that's why the, you know, they end up with a result like you described on the side day of sheer heart attack. It's, it's almost a, I don't know if experience is the right word, mm -hmm. but the way you described it, I'm kind of like, it's like you're taking a little, you're taking a, a half hour journey with Queen on this, this you, you half could, a You could tell that they wanted to push the bound, and you can hear that with um, Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, that song alone, where it, it's, it's all over the place. 
Um, I, and I think that was kind of their thing. I think they really wanted to push the boundaries of creativity and not put out the same record over and over and over again, which makes it great. Uh, it, it really does. That's what I think you'll find that with a lot of great artists, they have that mentality. Yeah. And sometimes it, it, every now and then you'll end up with an album that kind of a dud or it's like, what the hell are they thinking with this one? But most of the time it means you're going to get something great. Right. And it might not, it might sound similar to what you heard before. It might be very different, but it's probably going to be great. Yeah. So. Okay, so I'll go next. Um, this is probably the one album on my list where there is one, I'll say one and a half songs that I'm kind of, eh. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it is so good that I, it warranted being on here. Uh, and this is, and I do love this band very much. And there was a couple albums I could have chosen from them, but it, it arriving at my choice for them wasn't all that hard. So uh, Stone Temple Pilots is if god help us if we ever try to do a top 10 bands because i'll probably just i'll probably i'll have an anxiety attack because i won't be able to decide (laughs) but stp probably makes it in there for me um and if i were if i need if i'm in the mood stp for me is definitely a band where i i need to be in the right mood for them and when i am i can throw it on the record player throw it on my earphones whatever hit play on first track and go and i'm good for a while yeah and i can just ride through with them uh, I would take side A of Purple. So starts with uh, Meat Plow opening track, which is just STP had some good opening tracks on their albums. They really did. They had a few that that they they were pretty good and pretty interesting with how they they had their opening uh, tracks. Meat Plow is nothing. There's nothing that stands out about it, but it's just a cool like little groovy like it starts the record. And then track two is Vaseline, which is a all time great STP mm-hmm. song. One, it's just it's so good. It, the riff is that whole air it's it's just one of the best riffs love that riff to death uh the third song is the one that it's kind of the the one if i was using your uh your criteria this is the song that would have gotten this one next off the list <laughs> lounge fly i don't hate it but it is usually just there it's just there and yeah. it's usually the song that i'm waiting to end so that i can get to interstate love song yeah. which is top 10 song of all time for me like yeah. it's it's wild one i mentioned earlier interstate love songs in there that song when I was a teenager and first started really getting into music and finding my own stuff that I was into that one and listening to just rock radio, local FM rock radio, that one grabbed me. Yeah. And I will never tire of that song. There's just something about it. That's, that's just so it, it hits me in the heart a little bit. And then in reading and getting ready for this episode, I did not realize most of this album was recorded here in Atlanta. Really? At Southern tracks, uh, what's it called? Southern Tracks Recording Studio. I had never heard of, I didn't grow up in Atlanta. Yeah. So some of the history of stuff around here, like I, I know a lot about the the hip hop history here in Atlanta. Right. Outcast Luda, well aware of that. And there's there's Atlanta connections with, you go back to Skinner, Allman Brothers, whatever. Like right. I knew some of that. Right. I did not know about this place called a, a Southern Track Recording Studio, which was sadly just torn down last year. If I've got, if my research is correct. Here's some artists that recorded this place. Pearl Jam, STP, Black Crows, Bruce Springsteen. In fact, I believe Bruce Springsteen recorded uh, The Rising here, which really? was the, the post 9-11 album. Yeah. Which, and I'm not a, I'm a, I like some Bruce Springsteen stuff. I, I really love that album. Yeah. That was a great album. But uh, most of Purple was recorded here in Atlanta. And I couldn't vet this. So I don't want to say this as fact, but one of the things I read was that the bass player, one of the, uh, the brothers, and I'm blanking on their name, Dean and Robert uh, DeLeo? DeLeo. 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 Yeah. Thank you. DeLeo. DeLeo. Yeah. 
uh, wrote the, the instrumentation for the song. And supposedly, I think, I don't know if the studio was located near Interstate 85 or somewhere around there, but supposedly that might have been the interstate that was the interstate in question really? in the title. Don't know if that's true. So I don't want to say that as fact, but that was one thing I read on the internet. And Oh, well, the know, fact that it could be is cool enough. Yeah, yeah. But there was definitely, there was some... There is research or there is there are facts out there that it was part of it was written about Scott and his Scott Weiland, the late singer of STP. Part of it was his I think fiance at the time was back in L.A. while he was here in Atlanta recording this. And there was sort of it was all written and kind of wrapped up in his promise to her to try to stay sober and not yeah. be on drugs while he was here. But. You know, he mentions you 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 lie like in the song, and I think it's he's kind of admitting that he's trying to say he's staying clean, but he's not. He's yeah, lying. but just I, that's an all time favorite song for me. And then it goes into track five, which is still remains. I've always loved still remains. Uh -huh. Not a huge like not not a hit song for STP, but a great song nonetheless. Uh, and I think I, I've loved it ever since I bought Purple like twenty five years ago. Uh huh. And then it took on a deeper meaning to me, and I think a lot of other STP fans when Scott Weiland passed away. It was so interesting to watch this play out on the internet. You know, you learn the news, he's gone, which, and sadly, in a lot of ways, it's amazing he made it as long as he did. Yeah. Because the man pretty much, from the outside looking at it, it appears he, he battled his demons pretty much his entire career. But when he died, the first song I saw, the first song I thought of, first song I thought of, <laughs> that's a, that took it in a weird way. The first song I thought of was, was still remains. And, and then it was oddly heartwarming to start looking online and reading comments and find other STP fans had the exact same reaction was that song, specifically the line, if you should die before me, ask if you can bring a friend. And I thought that was just a, it's just a nice it's a love song, essentially, in, in, in lyrics anyways. It's not a slow ballad necessarily. It's a slower tempo, tempoed rock song. But I do love that feeling of like, it's basically him having his love, saying in his, professing his love for somebody, saying, you know, if you, if you die, ask if I can come with you. Yeah. Ask, ask the, the, the higher power, can I come with you? Because I don't want to be without you, essentially. And, and I love that. So the, the last song on, the, on side A, Pretty Penny, Solid song. I like it. It's in the, I wouldn't put it in the quite a, the meh category as Loungefly because I think in listening to, like you talked about listening to Queen, you're experiencing the whole side of an album. Right. Pretty Penny is a nice way to come out of interstate love song and still remains. It's slower acoustic. And I, right. It's, it's a, it's a nice little end to the ride that is uh, side A of purple. It, it's, I love it. You brought them up. Um, Scott Weiland, such a complex individual to, to research um i think that band as a whole sometimes it gets lumped into the grunge movement simply because of the time in which they hit the scene and they, they weren't a northwest band they were i wouldn't even say that they were grunge at all in my opinion i don't know so maybe some people could argue that i just saw them as their own thing They're a rock band with a with an authentic rock singer uh, for, with the good and the bad yeah and, and i like that um, I like the complexities of a rock singer. I like the complexities of a guy who's who's lived it, and uh, and he certainly lived it. Um, you know, beyond that, I I thought it, it, it and the STP run was great, and then you had the phase of of supergroups coming around. And you know, I've talked about this before because you had Audio Slave coming out. You had uh, there he's in Velvet Revolver and uh, 
Slash is in that band, and mm-hmm. it's like all these guys that kind of like, well, we're we're still alive, but we want to <laughs> play some music, so let's play something together. Yeah, and, and they had a great album. But no matter what that guy did, I, I was a huge fan of anything that he was involved in, starting with STP, uh, just because I, I found him so. Number one, his voice is great. His writing was great, but he was just a an, an interesting guy to watch and follow. And as were was. so many of those guys. He's his his not antics. His stage movements were. They were almost bizarre at times, but yeah. you couldn't help but he was very, he was a very rock, like lead singer y kind of thing. In that, like at times, he almost moved as if like somebody wouldn't let him move his arms. So yeah. he had to get it all out through his shoulders. Yeah. And he would just, and he was fascinating to watch. He was, he was, he was a rock star. So yeah. he was, he, yeah. he was fascinating to watch. A very, I feel like, unique voice. Like when you hear his voice, it's like that's Scott Weiland, that's yeah. Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, I love the Velvet, Re- Re- the first Velvet Revolver uh-huh. album. Uh, I, I remember this, the first single was Slither. I'm blanking on the album title off the top of my head, but so good. Uh, I actually saw, so I got to see, STP would have been on my time, was not on my Time Machine concerts list last week because I did see them. I saw them in 2001, which was, I felt like still enough within the the good era of STP that I felt like I saw, like Scott was in, you know, vintage Scott Weiland form. They sounded great. Uh, saw him on the Family Values tour of 2001, which the, the, here was the lineup for that, by the way. It was about a month after 9-11. Contraband. Contraband. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, gosh. That was going to drive me nuts. Um, yes, Contraband. Uh, the, the lineup for that show that night was very new metal and then also Stone Temple Pilots at the top. So it was, I think the opening band was Dead Sea, which I did not care for. <laughs> the the singer of that band is the son of uh, Cher and um, Sonny Bono. Uh, no, uh, somebody else. Okay. Uh, Greg Allman. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Elijah Blue. Uh-huh. Yeah, he he had this crappy band <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> Dead Sea. <laughs> yeah, Dead Sea. Like S E A or say or the letter C. Couldn't hit a C note. One word. Dead and then S Y at the end. Dead Z. So gotcha. Yeah. Static X, Stained, Lincoln Park, and STP in two thousand one. Staying in Lincoln Park, they were, 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 they were huge. But and then Stone Temple Pilots, and actually Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park came out and uh, sang "Dead and Bloated" with STP, and uh-huh. he and Scott kind of went back and forth on those lines, and it was cool. So this was really the reason I bring all this up. It's just a funny little story. So I am at this point, I'm uh, what eighteen? Yeah, eighteen. Yeah. Uh, so this is a point in my life I could still I could still hang and I could get my way up to the front of the barrier at a rock show and I could hang and I yeah. wouldn't need to pee every five seconds and I wouldn't be <laughs> desperate for water and oh my back hurts like I could hang in there. Yeah. So me and my buddy went and we made it through the first four bands and by the time it was it was time for STP it was like all right I loved STP but I was at a point where I'm like all right even at eighteen I was like you know what let's let's enjoy STP we'll go grab a seat and and watch them and he was cool with that. But in the middle of either Stained or Lincoln Park, I mean, we're right pretty close to the front and a mosh pit breaks out near us. And I was not one to get in a mosh pit, but, you know, it breaks out. So I had at the time, I had this hat that I loved. It was a red Carolina Hurricanes hat. I don't know squat about hockey. I wish we had a team here in Atlanta. We don't. I just bought the hat one day because I thought it looked cool. Right. Their logo looked cool. I just, I just, I have a lot of red ball caps. I just liked it. So I wore it to the show. It turns out when you're in a crowded sea of people and you can't really move much and a mosh pit breaks out, 
if somebody accidentally, like if your hat happens to get knocked off into the crowd, you can't just bend over and pick it up. It's just, it's gone. It's gone. And my hat was gone. It got knocked off during one of the earlier band sets. So we go up to, uh, we sit down, find some seats in the arena. It was an arena in, uh, in Charlotte. And uh, we watched Stone Temple Pilots. And at some point early in the set, I see something go flying on stage and Scott Weiland picks it up. And it's my friggin' Come on. red hat, and he puts it on his head <laughs> in the middle of a song, like while he's not singing in the middle of like an instrumental, like a little breakdown, wears my hat for five seconds, and then takes it off and throws it back into the crowd. And I'm sitting there like an idiot screaming, that's my hat, that's my hat. <laughs> my buddy's like, no, it's not. I'm like, yeah, it is. And then he's looking at it, he's like, damn, that is your hat. And, and, uh, and then never saw it again. It disappeared into the oblivion. Maybe whomever got the hat ends up being someone who goes after music podcasts and stumbles across this episode. You could be reunited with that'd be quite the story. I mean, uh, I would call 30 for 30 right now and say, <laughs> I got one for you. It might be a short episode, but it's a good, I just love that the, that the next guy put your hat on was Scott Weiland. That's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's strange, uh, but true. So if I was going to lose my hat, I at least got a good story. I could tell that is really, here. that's so. great. That's yeah. great. Uh, side A, Purple, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, besides Loungefly, uh, great, great side like of an album. That's really cool. Well, um, this next group that I'm going with has a member that we, we just discussed yeah, that was in the super group with uh, Velvet Revolver. When I thought about this, this was the first album that I thought of. Um, side G, as they label it. Yeah. 1987, side one, Appetite for Destruction, Guns N' Roses. Um, this album, my gosh, where to even begin? This is, a, this is an album that I've listened to so many times. If I were to look up the all-time statistics for the number of albums I've listened to, which one I've listened to the most, this would be in the top 10. And the reason for that is it's so unique in the sense that it starts off at such a high level and it maintains that level through the entire album. That does not happen. In fact, I remember one time, this was um, this is probably early 2000s, and there are the rumors going around that they're going to have a, a, a comeback album, Chinese Democracy and all that. Mm -hmm. And I remember a buddy of mine saying, I wish they just wouldn't. And I said, why? Because you're a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. And he said, because they can't just give me a heroin-driven album the way that they could in 1987. <laughs> and, and I understood that. Right. Um, because where those guys were when they did Appetite for Destruction was really a grimy place. It's in the lyrics. I mean, it's, it's a hard place to remain in. But it made the album so great. So the album, Side G, Welcome to the Jungle, It's So Easy, Night Train, Out to Get Me, Brownstone, uh, Paradise City. So good. I mean, my gosh. So, so the album's a face shredder. It just start to finish, 12 total tracks, and just absolutely wears you out. Welcome to the Jungle is arguably the greatest opening track of any rock album. I mean, you appeared at any ballpark now. We appeared at our ballpark every single night when the first pitching change is made for the other team. Uh, so you, you know Welcome to the Jungle. Everybody knows the intensity of that song. Then you go into the opening bass line of It's So Easy, and, and it, it, it sounds like a continuation of Welcome to the Jungle, which is crazy to think about maintaining that that level of intensity. It's almost like spinning a, a jam session off of Welcome to the Jungle, the way that that opening uh, bass line hits. And, and the album, and, and just pick any song, the album doesn't hide who they are and what they are as a band. 
And, and, and songs like It's So Easy blatantly put it out there. And as I'm researching it, I'm, I'm, I'm reading uh, an interview that was pu- published in Hit Parader in March of 1988. And it was uh, It's So Easy was asked about. And they, they asked, uh, where did this song come from? And it was, it was explained, it's, a, it's an account of a time that Duff McKagan and Wes Arkeen, who would write some of the songs for the band, um, and also some of the other members of the band were kind of going through it, as they said. They didn't have money. They had a lot of hangers on and girls they could basically live off of, and things were just too easy. There's an emptiness. It's so easy. That was their explanation of that's that cool. That's so cool. So, I mean, it, I love here's that. who we are, and, and they're just putting it out there in this song. And, and just when you think that the album can't get any dirtier after listening to a song like that, here comes Night Train, and I'm looking up Night Train, and this song is a tribute to an infamous brand of cheap Californian fortified wine called Night Train Express, which was extremely popular with the band during their early days because it was inexpensive and it had a very high alcohol content. And Izzy Stradlin and Slash's guitar parts, as they're going back and forth, are extremely gritty. And then you have Axel yelling, I'm on the night train and I'm ready to crash and burn. I mean, what a line. <laughs> it's great. Right? Yeah. Unbelievable line. Have you ever drank Night Train? I've never even heard of it. Oh, you'd never heard of it? I've never heard of Night Train. Well, there's, I got some friends back in the day that uh, I think we even called it like I'm riding the train. You're on the night train? I'm I'm riding the train tonight. I mean, sometimes you're in college. I remember Boone's Farm. I don't remember Night Train. Boone's Farm, OE, you know, Old English. uh, Night Train was very much, at least for us, was I never, thankfully, uh, rode the rode the train just outside of having a sip and realizing I didn't not ever want to ride that train. <laughs> but I had some friends back in the day who did, and it was called like I'm. They show up, money's tight, but I'm riding the I'm train. The tonight, train. Yeah, 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 no yeah. doubt. Yeah. Um, you go out to get me. It just reminds you that you're not getting an opportunity to slow down on this album. You're not going to get a chance to breathe. You go through Welcome to the Jungle, um, uh, and then Night Train. Or after it's so easy, the night train, then out to get me. So you're maintaining this um, this level of intensity with this album. I love Steven Adler's drums on this song. I think they're great. And then when Axel yells, let me see you try, when the song kind of peaks, and the following guitar solo is just so good right after that. Um, so that's out to get me. And then you get to the next track, and, and I think you start to wonder, you know, is this album just going to be like this all the way through? And they hit you with Mr. Brownstone, <laughs> and, which, go, which takes us from, from Night Train Wine to a song about Slash and Izzy Stradlin's daily bout as heroin addicts. I mean, this is... As you do. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, th- this so this song just bears their souls, I think. It just shows you everything they're going through. Um and, and the lyrics, as crazy as it sounds, really put you inside the daily exhaustion uh, when you really listen to it. The daily exhaustion of being a heroin addict, which sounds like a really hard place to be. It seems rough. Uh, as, as, it seems as, as low as I'm sure you can get. It just as brutal as brutal can get. Yeah. Terrible. And, and, and if you listen to the song multiple times, I don't know about you. I, I start to feel sympathy for the person the song is about, but it's almost like you can't take time to dwell on the sympathy you have for the character or characters involved because the song just rocks so hard and yeah. you can't get enough of it. It's such a great song. Um, and, and then that leads into Paradise City. And whenever the song comes on, I don't care where you are. If you're in your car, you want to just drop the windows and crank the volume. It's just great. It, for a lot of us, it was the first song that you heard off that album. Uh, for me, it was the first song 
maybe not the first, but it was one of the first songs I remember listening to as a kid and thinking, I really like this. I don't know what this means, but I really, really like this. I like the style of music. Uh, the song's almost seven minutes long. And um, I mean, the last two minutes of the song, so different from the first five minutes of the song, the song switches to double time five minutes in. And the chorus repeats itself several times while Slash plays the guitar solo in the background. And it just, it wraps up that first side of the album and just, it's the same intensity level all the way through. I know I've used that that adjective multiple times, but oh, that's yeah. what I think of when I think about that album. And then, of course, you flip over the album and it, it, it keeps on going. Um, but I, I, I could not do this list and not have one of those sides of the album on there. I didn't, it, it took me a second to pick which one that I wanted. Sure. Um, yeah, I, well, there's a reason the way you just described paradise city, there's a reason that they close with that most of the time when mm -hmm. you see them live. Cause mm -hmm. it's just the perfect for them. That band, that is the perfect song to end the show with. It's yeah. just great. I'm so glad you put that album on your list because it, it, I wanted to have it on mine. It ultimately didn't make it just because I went more with just some, there's a couple and I'll, you know what? I'll get the next one. I'll go into one of the real wild cards on my whole list. Um, but I do still remember when I bought appetite for the for destruction as a teenager and just the album cover alone, I thought was just yeah. amazing. Skulls. Oh, just in the, on the, the cross, like the yeah. black cover with the, the, with this just wicked drawing that encapsulate encapsulates them mm -hmm. so well, I think. Um, Sweet Child of Mine, I think, was probably the first song I heard by them. But Welcome to the Jungle, I was thinking about what you were saying as far as an opening track. Even me as a diehard, diehard nerd boy Metallica fan, if I'm just looking at, if I'm getting a little, stepping back a little bit and putting my rock critic hat on I mean, as far as an opening track, Inner Sandman would be the one mainstream one from Metallica. Yeah. Or something. Welcome to the Jungle is just, it's hard to top that one. It, it is. really is. It's so tough. But I'm, gl I'm glad you put it on because I wanted to have it on mine. And ultimately, because of the random bits of criteria I went with, I didn't. So that makes me feel better that it gets talked about yeah. here. Because if you didn't have it, it was going to have to be in my honorable mentions at the end right, of this. Right. Like, I can't sign this off and not mention side, side one of Appetite. Can't do it. it. It's such a rampage of an album. Um, and we talk about going to different parts of our lives and choosing sides of albums that we're listening to or mean something to us. And I, I, I was never into drug heavy, into drug use or anything like that. But I went through such a hard party era of my life, a uh, rebellious time in my I think a lot of us did, obviously, in, in some form or fashion. But there were times in my 20s where I just lived to party live hard, go fast, girls, etc. Uh, and I think a lot of that wears off with wisdom and time. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm still here, so that's the good news. Not, that I, was, not that I was about to you know, endanger my life, but it was just a, a spirit of that album that I just wanted to tap into because I loved the rampage of that album and just loved to, to party like that when I was younger. And um, so that's why I chose that album. And uh, it's one that I can still listen to and rock. I know I don't have to live up such a hardcore party lifestyle yeah. like maybe I did 20 years ago. That's like if you're with, I don't know how it was for you in Mississippi. I know for me in Virginia, in the mountains of Virginia, uh, it was not uncommon for us to all just in somebody's field somewhere. We had yeah. a, everybody had the trucks or their cars out there. You build a fire. 
Uh, somebody's got people bring booze and then somebody's playing the tunes, whether it's out of some, whoever has the best stereo or right. whatever. Uh, that's one I can just picture. It doesn't matter when, where you got a bunch of people together at, a, at the house for a party or you're in the field. You you can put that album on again, hit play track one, let it go, let it go. And you're, it's, it's, you're not, you don't, you don't ever have to hit skip. Yeah. You're going to be fine the yeah. whole way. It's going to be great. So, all right, well, going off of an all-time great album like Appetite, I think it's a perfect time for me to interject one of my uh, odd kind of wild cards into this whole I love mix. the wild cards. This, so this is definitely, it's, it's it, I, I, when I first went through this list and I, I, I went through all my albums and I was like, yeah, I'm a, let me throw this on there. And the more I kept narrowing it down, this album just kept staying in there. So this is a band that, sadly, I think you would probably cl- classify them as a one-hit wonder in the 90s. They had, well, they had one hit song that was like a smash hit song that was like mainstream, like mm-hmm. top 100, mm-hmm. like smash hit. Uh, I think they had, in my research, they had four top 10 rock hits on the rock chart. So, uh, you know, decent little run. But uh, this band, there, there was the one hit I'm talking about. It was called If You Could Only See. The band is Tonic. Oh, yeah. So they came out, I think that came out in around 96, and it was on their debut album, Lemon Parade. And so I was aware of, a, of that song and one or two others. I think they had a, one of their, their other rock hits was in American Pie or American Pie 2, which I saw both those movies back mm-hmm. in the day a zillion times, mm-hmm. loved them. Uh, so we went every year, my family, my mom's whole side of the family, we go on a, a beach trip somewhere, usually Outer Banks, Emerald Isle, North Carolina. Occasionally we'll venture out to somewhere else. So 2002, I believe it was, we, this was one of the few years we went uh, not to Emerald Isle or, or Nagseb. We went to Myrtle Beach or Myrtle Beach area. My cousin, Rob, he's a couple years younger than me. At this point, I'm 19. He's about 16, 17. We're both kind of getting into music. Love going to concerts. So we're on our big family trip and we're in Myrtle Beach and the House of Blues, which is still there. I looked at the concert schedule that week and this band Tonic was playing. I knew one or two songs. Same with my cousin, Rob. I was like, we both just like going and seeing live music and we should go. Uh, so family was cool with it. And there's about 20 people on this family trip, grandparents, our parents, cousins, the whole aunts and uncles, but just the two of us said, yeah, we want to go see the show just to, to, to go see some live music. So we go really only knowing one or two songs and they were fun. They were great. And I was especially blown away. Emerson Hart, the lead singer, little dude, He'd have like in between songs or even when they, he's not singing and they're still playing, like he'd have a cigarette, he'd put it in the fretboard and he'd be playing and yeah. he'd pull it out and he'd be smoking. And he's got these little dude and he's got this big, like really melodic, nice sounding voice and can wail a little bit live and sounded so good. And they kept playing song after song. I'm like, dang, that's catchy. I like that. Um, so this is very much a, it's a wild card in that it was a one hit wonder and very much a mainstream, like not pop, but kind of going for that pop rock yeah. thing. Like to me, they should have been, a, they should have caught on like a, I don't know, a live or a Bush or yeah. not that they even sound like Bush, but they should have had some, a little more success. Like some of those bands did kind of the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you ever do this. I like sometimes when I hear a one hit wonder song, I'll go back. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if that band ever did anything else that I would like. And oftentimes I'll, I'll do a dive on that band. And I'm like, no, they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason they only had one because right. they didn't have anything else. Sadly, uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I went and saw this band, got this album and the, the album after that, actually. 
I loved it. But side A of this album, this is one. There's six songs on here. There's not one I would skip. And I love them all. So the first song, it opens up with a song called Open Up Your Eyes, which, which was, I think, their first single. Thank you. I remember that song. It's a good song. I remember that song, it's, yeah. It's, it's a solid song. So I'm glad you brought them up because if you had told me, Tonica could have told you the one song. If you well, can only see. If you can only see. Yeah. And, but now that you say that, I, it, there it is. I remember yeah. that song. That was the one that got me when I saw them live. Uh, I, it wasn't... But it wasn't the uh, Yeehaw Junction effect that we established last <laughs> week. I'll actually, I've got an example or two of that later on my list, which if you, if you don't remember, you didn't hear last week, we've on the fly established that the Yeehaw Junction effect is when you've heard a song, the, the studio version of it, you either disliked it or it just didn't, you were indifferent on it. Right. And then you hear it live and it suddenly takes on a different meaning or you start to like it. Uh, this was not, I just never heard that song before. The way Emerson Hart was like just belting that song out that night, I went, damn. Like, I like that. That's good. And so great opening song, Casual Affair is an upbeat song, track two. Just, I, I, I think that was released as a single as well. Didn't really become a hit. Really good. Just just solid upbeat song. So Open Up Your Eyes is like a little slower, but the chorus is really like the vocals are strong. Uh, casual Affair, upbeat. Then it goes into If You Could Only See, which is the big smash hit. Track four was one that I looked this up and it was a single. Sadly, it did not become a hit uh, called Soldier's Daughter. And it's kind of this, it's a great rock song in that it kind of starts out slow, kind of sweet sounding, and then builds up and gets like a, it's still, still very much in that pop rock kind of area, but a good sweet song. And the ending of the song is, I, it's like, uh, I, that song gets, the ending of the song gets me in the feels every time. I, I, I can't sit here and describe it to you all to, to you or to anybody listening, yeah, you would just need to go hear it. It's just a sweet, sweet ending to the song. Track, this, is your, this is their first album, this right? This is their first okay. album, yep. Track five is, it's definitely not a skip over like Lounge Fly on STP. It's right. the title track, Lemon Parade. It's a solid song. I like it in here, even though it's, it's of the six songs, it, it would definitely rank last. I like it if I'm listening to this half of this album because it is a nice break between Soldier's Daughter, which I just praised, and then the final track on this side, which was not a single, at least from what I researched. And to me, whoever from this record company, this management, whoever didn't put this last song up as a, as a single, it, it should be malpractice for this band. It's a song called Mountain. This song should have been a, this, this song should have been played all over the radio. I don't, to this day, I don't understand how somebody didn't, the powers that be, didn't put some money or promotion or whatever behind this song. It is a song that it builds and it takes a couple minutes for it to build. And then it just, it kicks in mm -hmm. and it is great. If, if you're listening to this and you want to start anywhere with tonic or you don't want to listen to any of this other stuff I just talked about, go listen to track six on Lemon Parade called Mountain. Give it the five or six minutes, however long it is. I think it's, uh, I'm sorry, it's only four and a half. There you go. See, yeah. I saved you 30 seconds already. So go, <laughs> go listen to Mountain. Fantastic song. Again, this is very much a wild card because in putting this list together, it's like all-time great albums that I'll forever listen to, like An Appetite for Destruction, yeah. aren't on here. But this is a case of, this is one I've listened to it for 20 years, still love it now. And I think for me personally, even if there's only three people listening to this show, yeah. if I can turn one and of those two three of people, and we're two <laughs> of them, so if I can turn the third person that's listening to this show, uh, and they've never listened to Tonic, and they... At least Tony gets a chance out of it. So right, let me no, let me get this straight. So that was the last song on the on the first half of the album you yes, just mentioned. Mountain. Yeah. So the one song that a lot of us know Tonic from 
that's not on that side of the album. I'm sorry, I skipped over it so fast. It is oh, okay, okay. It's track three. Well, that so, would have been fascinating. Oh yeah, yeah. If it was yeah. like the one song that you everybody knows about with Tonic yeah. wasn't on the side that you chose, but I, I didn't. I missed that part. Sorry, I went over it so fast that yeah, I I might have not have even said the said that that I was so busy trying to get to Soldier's Daughter because I love Soldier's yeah, Daughter yeah. and Mountain. Uh, yeah, open up your eyes, casual affair. If you could only see, that's track three. Soldier's Daughter four, Lemon Parade five, Mountain six. Yeah, this is one. Again, I first got it twenty years, actually twenty one years ago now. It is. I can listen to it now and be just as as happy listening to it as yeah. I was then. I don't get tired of it. It's great. It is funny. I need to th- throw it back real quick. You mentioned a song that uh, you said was it on the other side. Uh, purple earlier. Well, I want to. I want to circle back to Stone Temple Pilots real quick. Yeah. If I could take Big Empty off of Side B and throw it onto Side A, how many? Of how many fly, sides did you come across where if you could do that? Uh, there was so many. Me, me too. So many. It's like a dozen of them. Like, can I? When I trade that song for that song. Oh my god! And it's like there were so many instances where I'm like, if I could just make this one trade. Yeah. This side suddenly goes from okay, I think it's on the list to. This is the greatest I've ever made. Like it, it kept happening, but uh, which but is yeah. funny because I don't think an artist ever put together an album thinking let's have the greatest side ever made. Right. Think, let's have a, a very uh, a, a top to bottom consistent album. And I have heard that there were at least back in the day, and I don't know how true this is. I have heard that there was amongst some folks at one time there was a, a belief or a theory that you should try to load what you think are your best songs up on the front side or mm. the, the first side of an album. I don't know how true that it's is. It's almost like your pitching rotation versus your bullpen. <laughs> I mean, my top five arms over here and then everybody yeah. else goes over there. Yeah. And let me put a, let me put a, a let me put a really like a fiery one to end it all. Yeah. yeah. Let me get, let me get a closer. Yeah. Let me get a good closer <laughs> to end it all. But, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's uh, one of the wild cards. Lemon parade by tonic came out in 1996, I believe. Um, yeah, I had to leave off some all-time great artists uh, albums to put a band like Tonic on there, but I did it because I, you know, I think that's part of what what'll make this show fun is to have some have some deep dives on artists that otherwise, why would anybody ever bring them up or talk about them? That Ricky Mass is why we're doing the show. That's right. Yeah, you'll also be the same guys over and over again. Yep. Uh, by the way, out of sheer curiosity, you don't know the name of the song that was on the American Pie soundtrack because I had that album. I know what it was. What it, was it? Uh, you wanted more, and it yeah, was it yeah, was it was right. It was on the good song. Uh, it was on their second album, Sugar. Which actually, by the way, when I mentioned that forty nine albums earlier, yeah. Sugar was also one of those because I looked at it and I'm like, I could burn down side A of that album yeah. too, uh, and be and be pretty happy. There's there's not there's not really anything that misses on that one either. Just good hooky pop mainstream rock um again as you as you've probably already surmised by listening to us most of the time when i'm talking about rock i'm going to be in that mm-hmm. metallica or i'm going to be in that 70s classic rock era but there is and there's certainly i've got and or grunge uh but there are certain of those poppier like or just more like the mainstream modern rock sound that uh certain ones that, that grab me and this yeah this is, this is a great example of that Thank you. I, I forgot about everything on American Pie because all I remember is Nadia from American Pie. Oh, sweet. So I'll have a moment for Nadia. Sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> Shannon Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. So I, similarly to how I said I knew I wanted a Queen album on my list, I also knew I wanted a David Bowie album on my list. 
Um, because very similarly to some of these other uh, artists that I mentioned, the way I listen to Bowie is full albums at a time. I never listen to a Bowie song. It's always, you know, I want to listen to Bowie today. I'll flip on this album. And there's so many great ones to choose from, even all the way up to Black Star, the one that he put out right before he passed away, like a week before he died, something like that. Great stuff. Um, so yeah, I never listen to him mixed in with other artists. It's just an album. So uh, of all the choices, I went with uh, 1972, Side One, Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. This is your rundown. Five Years, Soul Love, Moon Age Daydream, Starman, and It Ain't Easy. And you listen to the opening track, uh, Five Years, and you know, like, you probably knew this going in, if you're familiar with Bowie at all, you're about to go on a really unbelievable ride because it's a fictitious character that he has created it's a band that he has created that he's the, the whole album is about this fictitious band and it, it, it's so good. It's so creative. This, this journey starts with five years and it just takes you through the rest of the album and five years just builds and builds and builds and it really just explodes in the end. Uh, and, and that's just one song. And, and after you hear that song, you're hooked at that point. You want to hear more about these guys, this band, where this is going. Um, it goes to soul love, which is a very deep song lyrically but it doesn't match the beat. It has a very fun beat. Uh, so love. And, and it's really kind of funny. It gets stuck in your head. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's this is really kind of kind of down and, 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 and depressing. Um, it, it's a fascinating song to study. Uh, it builds similarly to how five years does. And it kind of takes you through this little journey. And then you get to the third track, which is Moon Age Daydream. And first and foremost, what a really cool name for a song. Uh, I don't even know what that means, but it just sounds cool. Um, that song rocks and has wild lyrics that are all over the place. Uh, freak out in a moon age daydream. That just sounds cool. I love his voice echoing as the guitar solo begins and the strings in the background just doing their rising and falling thing. And, and Bowie would do that, even going back to Space Oddity, where he would make these sounds on guitars and uh, on other instruments that sound like... <laughs> space sound effects like you're going you're going up into space and things like that you get to the fourth track Starman, which is probably the most popular track off that side and if you're looking for your single for radio here it is in fact the song was a late addition to the album written as a direct response to rca's request for a single and he had to drop another song there was another song that was going to be there on its place and they kicked that song off the album entirely because rca wanted a radio hit so he said okay let's do Starman." And that's got a great riff to start the song. And then finally, there's the last track on that side of the album, It Ain't, it Ain't Easy. And it's the only song on the album that Bowie did not write himself. The rest of it is is all him. But he had such a cool ability to um, take on these different characters and then personify those characters on stage and live shows with Aladdin Sane and uh, Thin White Duke and then uh, Ziggy Stardust. And it's like he was, it was almost like Halloween for David Bowie. It's like, who do I want to be? I want to be this character. I want to look like this. I want to have this band around me. I want to have this kind of look, and I'll do an album like that. And he got to play trick-or-treat a little bit and be this character. And that was the cool thing about Bowie because he has so many different looks. But he, it's just great talent, great voice, great writing, great creativity, and another full album where it's a journey from start to finish and of all the albums of his that I could have gone with, that's it was hard to narrow it down to one half sure. of an album, but that's the one that I chose. He's such a, it's, I'm so fascinated by an artist who can 
one day write a song like rebel rebel and then the next day write a song like like space oddity yeah i'm like how is that the same guy it's just what a talent like an alien yeah. yeah yeah and and i'm just i wonder how a guy like that in 1972 goes into the record office like the exec's office is like all right here's what i want to do i'm going to create this whole thing fictitious thing and they're like I like and they like okay yeah, yeah. Do that. It's, it's I don't know. It's it's fascinating. Well, it's, it's cool. almost like with the with what I told you about RCA. Give us a single, and then you can do whatever whatever else you want to do with yeah. it. Yeah, you just need a hit. Yeah. Back then, I mean, they're they're pumping out records of like one or two every year. Some of those guys and bands, and as long as each one has a hit, all right, yeah, keep doing good. your thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I will piggyback off that because a uh, similar era and a similar situation where I was trying to choose. I did. I, I it, there were three albums that I wanted to choose from for this artist, and any one of the three I could have gone with, uh, and it was a tough decision because I just love this guy or the band, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I I was trying to pick, and what I actually liked about it, I didn't do this on purpose. I felt like I was picking from three kind of distinctive eras of in Tom Petty's history. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll, I'll give you the the ones I didn't pick first, but in, in backwards order here chronologically uh wildflowers is just it's it's such a great album i still haven't watched the documentary that's out there on that and it's on my list of things to do uh but man i I love wildflowers of course full moon fever is just if you're looking for like the the tom petty starter pack yeah you know yeah you probably start with full moon fever because that's got you know free fall and running down a dream um won't back down i mean it's got all that but ultimately for me, if I'm wanting to, I, I was kind of putting my vinyl record at home, like with like a drink and cigar or whatever, like, what am I wanting to listen to? I'm putting on side A of damn the torpedoes every time. Yeah. Starts with Refugee. That was maybe the first Tom Petty song I was aware that was Tom Petty. Either that or Mary Jane's Last Dance, because I think that got played at all of my middle school yep, dances. Yeah, you and me both on that one. Yeah. Uh, and all of us were like in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and we all like to sing the part where he goes oh my my oh hell yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh damn the torpedoes there's five songs none of them i'm skipping i'm not skipping over any of these refugee is one of the greatest moments in tom petty and heartbreakers history is the breakdown of that song where he almost is like not screaming but he's like like one of those things you got to feel you know, where he really like belly yeah. screams yeah it. That gets me. I've heard that song a thousand times and it still like uh, gets me every time when I love it. You know, it revs me up. Here Comes My Girl is such a Tom Petty, just cool song. It's like this little love song. He's talking. He's talking and somehow and that even the little slide of the guitar when Uh it really kind of first kicks in, that gets me every time. I love that. Even the losers, if there's one that I'm ranking out of the five, it's probably fifth all these five, but I'm not skipping over. It's a great song. Love Uh that song. The fourth song is one. So if I, I believe I mentioned this, I can't remember if I've talked about this on our show last week or if it was just when you and I were talking one day. That's probably going to be a, a, a problem I have in the future as well. Um, but I, I may have mentioned last week that when Tom died, I was, uh, was scheduled to go drive up to Virginia for a few days to see my family. It was at the end of the baseball season in yeah. 2017. And so he had just died a couple of days prior. And so I did a deep dive on this, this eight hour road trip back home to Virginia. And I literally listened to nothing but Tom Petty records. Didn't plan it out that way, but I just got so into, I knew all the hits. I like, I knew the top 20 Tom Petty songs. I knew some beyond that, but I had never really done a deep dive on, let me just listen to albums beginning to end. 
when I, on that trip was the first time I had really sat there and listened to every track of Damn the Torpedoes. And it was the first time I had heard Shadow of a Doubt. Shadow of the Doubt, or Shadow of a Doubt, is such a good song. Yeah. I love that song so much. It, if you haven't heard it, listen to it. It's, it's so good. And then the fifth track, Century City, is just a, just a fun rock and roll tune. Uh -huh. Upbeat, just, just, you know, driving down the road, uh, rock and roll tune. So those five songs, Refugee, Here Comes My Girl, Even the Losers, Shadow of a Doubt, Century City. I won this one. I probably went a little more with uh, There Isn't a Miss here. Uh, like with, uh, let's see. When you go to Full Moon Fever, it's always funny when you look at discography because technically Full Moon Fever, Wildflowers are solo albums of Tom Petty, yeah, even though the Heartbreakers yeah. played on them. But neither here nor there. Let's see. Full Moon Fever, Free Fallen, I Won't Back Down. Love is a Long Road, Facing the Crowd, Running Down a Dream. Love is a Long Road where I'm like, I don't dislike it, but I'm like, yeah, meh. Yeah. That really came to, that's what it came down to me. I looked at Damn the Torpedoes. I'm like, there ain't a song on there I'm skipping. Yeah. There ain't one. Yeah. I'm, it's, it's, I'm hitting play or I'm putting the, dropping the needle. It's staying until it's time to turn the record. Yeah. So, well, then you got Don't Do Me Like That on the other side. Uh, yeah. Um, great album. Like most Tom Petty albums, if you like the first side, there's probably going to be something on the other side you like yeah. too. Yeah. He, he, the, that, that him, Tom and that band just, they did not miss. He, he, really he was he was such a perfectionist. And that's that's one thing I love about him is <clears throat> he would he was very particular about the guys that played with him. It wasn't it, just because we use you on this album and you're in the band doesn't mean if if a better option comes along we're not going to grab somebody yeah. else. And he would do that. Um, and, and he was constantly pushing whether it was in this band or if it was traveling wheelberries or whatever else working with some of the baby think about some of the stuff that that Jeff Lynn did. Uh, with Tom Petty or any of the traveling wheelberries guy. I mean, that's just my guys. Yeah. Uh, and I looked at some of their stuff to have on this list and maybe it was, I kind of ran out of time, but um, I just love that. It, it didn't matter who you're talking about. Tom wanted to work with the absolute best. Yeah. And, uh, and that shows in his work. So you mentioned all these albums that you could have chosen from it all to in good selections. Yeah. There, there's, and I could have even, I probably could have gone deeper beyond those three. There's probably some others I could have pulled Definitely. from. I had to do some debating on this one. This one was a tough to choose just one, but I, I feel good about Damn the Torpedoes. Yeah, because there's, I'm not skipping over any of those five tracks. Yeah, so that's great. So Tom and the Heartbreakers, that's my uh, my next choice. I like it. How many wild cards do you have left, by the way? I've got one. I would say my, actually the one I'm saving for last is kind of a wild card, uh -huh. but it's not as... When I'm using the term wild card, it's like it's almost kind of funny to me that that's where I landed. Right. The last one, it is like random in that it's kind of a lesser known or not as mainstream of an artist or anything. But there's such deep personal meaning to it yeah. that it's not in my heart. It's not really as wild of a card. I've got one that's the wildest of the wild cards. Okay, I've wait got for one that. left. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna throw a wild card right here. All right, here we go. That's what I've been waiting on. Uh, this next man is one that it's, it's just it's so far up there for me. I um. And I'm so glad that they're back now. They're they're they are popular. Um, lots of people know their stuff, but I wouldn't say that they're household names. And I think their albums are absolutely incredible, um, authentic, real. Um, you're not going to hear them on the radio, really. And that is Turnpike Troubadours. And they took a hiatus. Uh, lots of drama there with Evan Felker, their lead singer, and he's sober now and all that. Um, but when they announced that they're going to come out with another album this year, I was, I couldn't believe it. I, I thought we'd heard the last of them. So, uh, fiddle, still guitar, refreshing, real country music. 
Um, so I, I knew I wanted one of their albums on my list. I This was one of the hardest ones to pick was one side of one of their albums because they've got so many good albums. And I, I was really thinking hard about their very first album. I landed on 2015 side one self-titled album Turnpike Troubadours. Uh, this is The Bird Hunters, uh, The Mercury, Down Here, Time of Day, Ringing in the Year, and A Little Song. And the record start, uh, starts with a song that if you're – uh, into in-depth storytelling like I am, similar to what we talked about, uh, kind of the Bowie album or, or you know, a lot of these other, the Christopherson album. This is a song for you. The Bird Hunters details a story, and tell me if, if this isn't creative, details a story of a guy who is back in his country hometown and hunting birds with his closest friends after spending the last several years of his life out of his element, living in the city, and he went there following a girl that he was in love with at the time. And it didn't work out. The relationship breaks up. He finds himself back where he truly belongs, getting over his heartbreak and embracing the happiness that he's finding, being back in his hometown and with his buddies. And I hear that song. It's like, okay, I, detail for detail, I can't relate, but I can relate to the notion of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think a lot of us have been there where it's like when you go through a breakup and you, you know it's going to be okay and you find yourself where you're supposed to be, I think that's such a brilliant concept for a song because everybody's felt that. Oh, yeah. And for him, it's about being back in the field and, and hunting, hunting timber with his buddies and this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. And it's almost like an epiphany for him. Uh, the Mercury, it's a song that really rocks. The, the main character is a fictitious character named Lori who makes several appearances in multiple Turnpike Troubadour songs. Um, in fact, there are actually two recurring characters in the Turnpike Troubadour universe, if you will, that make appearances in this jam. Jimmy is the other character, and basically this is a song about a wild night at a honky-tonk and everything that comes from it to drunks, to jukeboxes, to fights, to cigarettes, and dancing, and everything in between. Kind of our kind of night, Rick. Oh, yeah. Uh, we love that kind of stuff. Down That's what it sounds like they were riding the train one night. Yeah, <laughs> the night train. They're on the night <laughs> A lot of night train that night. Um, down here is a jam about cheering up a buddy who's down on himself. Basically, you're saying, you'll be all right. You'll be fine. You can have a nickel out of my last dime. Uh, the moon is bright, and you'll always be all right down here. And that's a, a conversation we've had with lots of buddies. Um, the next jam, shout out to Bryce Elder, pitcher for the Braves. He uses this song, Time of Day, as his walk-up song, and Time of Day rules. Um, a great opening, uh, basically a song about a guy trying to figure out what to do to get the attention of a woman that he likes. We've all been there a million times. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ringing in the Ear, the next song. Um, great song. Basically, and I think a lot of us can apply this song to a relationship we might have had in the past as well, a song about a girl that he was wild about and she was wild about him, but they, they made me, they met too early in life and they were both wild. They were too wild for each other, too wild to be tied down and maybe even toxic for each other, if you will. Uh, but they know that they can't go on together, but looking back on it, they still think of each other time to time, not enough to pursue the other person, but just to wonder, I wonder what this would have been like. And I, and I know lots of us, especially guys have, moments like that where you're like oh yeah i remember if i'd i met this person when i was 26 what if we had met when we were 36 you know how things might have been different yeah. who knows it's even you can even almost go even more broad with it of just had i made this decision at this point in life mm -hmm. with, with with this person or in this whatever this choice life choice was i was made with or i was faced with how would that have played out yeah and what would it be like now and then you know what is that other person doing now it I think it is natural, especially yeah. a lot of guys. You wonder about that. Doesn't mean 
Like for me, I don't think there's really anything I'd change. Right. But you still have those thoughts of like, it's more of like just playing it out. Like what, how would that have gone? Because so many times you're left with those thoughts. Yeah, you are. And it always does. It doesn't mean if you're having those thoughts, it doesn't mean that you're like thinking you there's better no off. Yeah. yeah, there's no regret. It's just, it could have gone that way. And how would that have looked? It almost like we're almost, if you and I were talented enough to be great songwriters, I think that's the yeah. mindset you put yourself in to try to write a great song or something that means something to you. It's like those thoughts you have. Those yeah. Thought, like, and those general wonderings that you have. Yeah. Like, well, how would life have played out if this had happened? Yeah. Or had I not done this or whatever, you know? And that's, that's really that song. I, I, I listen to that song and I think about that. And then the final song, A Little Song, uh, is exactly what it is. It's just a song where Evan's singing over a, an acoustic guitar, basically about relationship ending. So I knew I wanted them on my list. I find them so relatable. I find their their topics and uh, the things that their songs are about are, are songs that and experiences that could have been about things that you and I have been through. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I love Turnpike so much. I mean, they're, they're great um, beyond the lyrics, I mean, they sound amazing. And, and I love their sound. Um, fiddles, steel guitar, uh, all that. I mean, they sound amazing, but I think they're, that their lyrics can be so complex, make you think and feel relatable. And that's why I'd have them on my list. I love that. As soon as you started describing them, I knew that's where you're going with it. And I yeah. was, I was happy. That's where you landed. Cause I didn't have enough of, I don't have enough of that. If, if I'm talking about equal representation, there isn't Ryan Bingham. There's not a turnpike. There's not uh cross Canadian ragweed is a band that I love that we'll get yeah. into at some point. I wanted so badly. I tried as hard as I could to get them on this list because at times in my life, there was a time in my life where I would clearly state that yeah, Metallica is number one, but Cross Canadian Ragweed is number yeah, two. Yeah. And I still love that. And they haven't been a band for almost 15 years now. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to include an album of theirs on here. I just, there wasn't one side. If I had to do a whole album, I could do it. But uh, so I'm glad you did. Yeah. We're, we're adding some variety. All right. I'm going to go ahead and get this, this, this wild card that I have to defend I love it. Out, of, out of the way. All right. So this is very much, it is personal in that. And I'll describe it to you the, the time of life in which this this album came around for me uh because this band their first album we're going back to this 90s rock thing radio rock their first album was massive i mean one of the biggest selling albums ever uh i even thought about putting i could put side a or b of their debut album on here because it's still i still love it uh extremely popular and i'm around 11 or 12 when it was out and popular and i was first becoming aware of it and so I'm still a kid, but I'm starting to branch out a little bit with music as much as you can as a 11 year old in 1994, you know, and starting to starting to the, the seeds are being planted for me to start finding my own stuff. Uh, so this band's sophomore album comes out. Uh, let me get the date here. April 23rd, 1996. So the band is Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. OK. Their sophomore album. I love Cracked Review. Still do. Um, that album was enormous. It's that's an album. That's an album. I I don't care if people think it's silly or it's too it's too popular. But there's not one song on their debut record I would skip all the way through. There's not one. It, they some of them even only want to be with you is kind of like a funny song. I don't care. The whole album it was enormous. I loved it. Okay, but I have side A of their sophomore album Fairweather Johnson on uh, on my list, and here's why: seven songs. I wouldn't skip one of them. They're all songs. Actually, in comparison to Cracked Review, Fairweather Johnson is almost not moody. It's a little, 
And it's not dark because it's still hooting the blowfish. Like it's not like depressed. Well, it's got like a there's like a slight depressed sound to a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, and I've read up on the band. I think the band they the massive success they had had put them in a weird place. I don't think they particularly loved this album critically. I don't think the album was very loved. It sold very well because they they were so big off the first album that the second album. If it had been fart noises, it would have sold a million <laughs> copies just because they were that big. There was a summer where Hootie and the Blowfish was the biggest band in the world. Every when, when you get in somebody's car and you want to flip through the CDs and they're, everybody had cracked review. Literally everybody. everybody. Literally everybody had that album. Uh, so so here's and now here's why this album is on my list. I do still I can still put it on. I do own this album on vinyl. Songs one through seven. I, I won't go through the breakdown of the song the songs. Um I like them all. Old Man and Me was the the lead single on that album. It's on the front side. It's just a cool, the riff. It's a very, like to me, 90s riding down the road, like kind of southerny, but still mainstream rock riff, like just cool song. Uh, all seven songs on the the front side of that album, I, I still enjoy. Uh, but here's, here's why it landed on my list. So this was kind of the first band that as an 11, 12 year old, that I was kind of like, this is my band. This is not just my parents. Thankfully, I grew up around great music and music that I still love because of them. Mm -hmm. But this is one I think they like Tootie. But this was the first one where I'm starting to like find stuff that, hey, I like. I'm becoming my own person here. Like, this is something I like. And I don't know if you feel this way about a, a band or an artist that you love. But for me, when one of them comes out with a new album, like I went through this with Metallica uh, with 72 seasons this year where the whole process like as a fan of getting a new album is so fun yeah and you, you hear a new song for the first time as a single and then maybe they put out another one and then when it's record release day it's like oh my god i'm clearing my calendar because i just get to spend time with this and try to absorb it and listen right. to it and i think my first if i remember right i think my first life experience with that was the release of fairweather johnson i remember my mom taking me to walmart to buy the cd this is, it's so funny. This is how I know it like left an impact on me. I can picture, I know exactly what the actual disc itself, like the color of beige that it was. I know what it felt like. It had that kind of a rough, like almost lights, like sandpapery feel to very it. Coarse, very coarse. Very coarse. Yeah. The, the liner notes or the CD booklet, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't glossy finish like usual. It was more of like a matte finish. Yeah. Those are the little things I can remember. And no matter what, if I live to be a hundred years old, if that album comes on, I am immediately back to being turning 13 years old in the summer of 1996 and listening to yeah. that album all summer. And there's so much, and this is a larger life philosophical discussion, but becoming a teenager in the summer I became a teenager, it's like life is really starting to change. Uh, it's just part of it. And I don't mean just the, like physically you're becoming a teenager, your hormones are raging. I don't just mean like the, the the sex stuff like all that it's just everything like yeah. you you your body you're becoming your mind, aware of things you're becoming aware of things you are you've begun the process of becoming an adult and it's like your emotions at least for me it's like they're they're like running at a, a zillion rpms all the time yeah. in each direction and for me this was kind of like not in a bad way I, I i didn't have like a rough 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 like time going from being a kid to a teenager but the world's changing, but this album is right there in the middle of it. And I spent that whole summer. I can put that album on now, and it's like I can close my eyes, and I can see myself in places where I was. I can see myself 
Like my parents have a little pool in the backyard and they, my dad mounted up some speakers outside and you could play that time. You could put a CD on inside and play it outside. I would put that CD on every day and I'd go swimming or I'd be out like shooting hoops. Yeah. Um, at night going to bed, like got my little Sony disc man with my little earphones. I'm listening to that album. So for me, it's very, it's personal and that it's very nostalgic. What was it, the biggest single off that album? Probably old man and me. I think yeah. there wasn't uh that was the one that was kind of a hit. And I'll tell you this too. Here's another personal connection to it. So 2012, uh, I'll try to give everybody the cliff notes version of this. This is before I'm working with the Braves. I'm trying to break my way into sports or trying to get a, a career going, the, a career path going that, that I'm excited about. Long story short, I, I try out for and become one of the nine winners of this contest. Major League Baseball put on called the MLB Fan Cave Contest. Got to go live in New York City for the summer, watch every Major League Baseball game. And it was a social media kind of thing where early on social media, MLB recognized that they were they needed to start going viral and producing like content online, right? which sounds like a no-brainer now. But at the time, this is still a pretty new concept. Um, so as part of this, every day we're living and breathing, me and my other eight people that won this, we're living and breathing all things baseball. We're tweeting about it. We're writing blogs. We're trying to make funny videos every day in this little content house, if you will. Uh, and everyday ball players would come in from whatever teams were in town to play the Mets or Yankees. They bring a couple of ball players down. We try to film it. We'd film a video with them or try to go, quote unquote, go viral. And we would have celebrities come in and bands come in and artists come in. This was also this whole thing was kind of set up reality show style where they started with nine of us at the beginning of the 2012 Major League Baseball season. And throughout the season, people got eliminated. And they ended with three at the end of the year. And then one is declared the ultimate winner. And really the contest was just, you're just trying to produce, prove that you're still worthy to be there. Yeah. Produce content. So how far did you make it by the way? Uh, most of the way, I think I was fourth to the end. I was there yeah. from March before the season started uh, till August. I made it most, yeah, of the season, yeah. most of the way. Had a great time. Um, Life-changing experience. But a couple months into my stay there, they would have check-ins with each of us privately and just say, Hey, here's how you're doing. And they told me like, surprisingly, you're not really like, you're not doing that well. Like you're not hitting on much. Like you need to start coming up with something or you're not going to make it much longer. And I was like, damn. Okay. And uh, they said, uh, if you know anything about Darius Rucker, he's actually coming in today. And I said, really? So I li literally went straight downstairs. We had some guitars in there and I wrote a, uh, a parody, a song parody to hold my hand called He's Brian McCann because I'm a Braves fan. And Mac <laughs> was still with the Braves at that time. And an hour after I wrote it, there's Darius Rucker sitting there, like even closer than you and I are sitting now. And I'm playing him, playing the song for him. And he laughed hard and got a great kick out of really? it. Really? It's one of the biggest, maybe the biggest high I've ever had in my life because it wasn't just him. They were filming and it's this big facility in Manhattan the big open room, all these people looking at me. And I made the guy who wrote, like, who wrote the song like he enjoyed it and got a kick out of it. And then I handed him the guitar and he actually played a, just played a song that was on his new country album at the right. time. And so then he's sitting there right next to me playing a song. Wow. And which was so cool. And I still have the guitar pick uh, that he brought. He had some of his picks with him. He played uh, his song with the pick and I got it. Uh, it's got his like a uh, facsimile of his signature on one side. And then he's a big uh, Gamecocks fan. So it's got the South Carolina Gamecocks logo on the other. So I've still got it. Uh, but I remember it was such a cool moment, but I remember in that moment thinking that I, I wishing I could actually sing 
because like the parody song, you can sing a parody song and not actually be a singer. Cause right. I suck at singing. Right. I'm terrible. I wish I could, I can't. Uh, but I remember thinking, God, if I could just sing a little bit, I would ask him right now if we could just play uh, Earth Stop Cold at Dawn together, which is the closing track from side A of Fairweather Johnson. It's just a simple three or four chord, uh, kind of acoustic driven uh, Hootie and the Blowfish song. I think Nancy Griffith does some of the harmonizing vocals on there. But even in that moment, all these years later, with him right there, sitting right there, I didn't pre-plan it. I just had this thought of like, God, that song from Fairweather Johnson. I wish I could. I wish I was good enough to just ask him if we could play that right now together, just for me. So, all that to prove that there's a reason that yeah, I know this is kind of a random pick. Like, there's I don't have a Rolling Stones album on my list. Right, I've got a Hootie and the Blowfish album on my list. <laughs> so that's about as like I wouldn't have planned it out. I wouldn't have thought it was going to go that way. But when going with personal, like actually personal meaning, like I got to put this on there. That's that, the whole reason we do this this episode. Yeah, is for that and yeah. the and the experiences of. Because it is such a different category. It's 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 not the best album. It's not your favorite uh, live band to listen to or somebody you want to meet. This is uh, half an album. This is or one one side of an album, and, and why that, that, that you chose this album. And I think that the, the stories are just as good as the music as to why we gravitate towards these choices and and went with it. And that's a really cool. I mean, to a degree, that could have been any other artist that came in yeah. that day. It could not, have been. not to say that you wouldn't have had uh, been prepared to do something for them as well, but this was this was right in your wheelhouse. It was perfect. It was perfect timing. I needed something that day too to stay in this thing, this amazing life changing thing. I needed something. Yeah, and they they literally dumped it right in my lap without realizing. And I'll give you just a quick off the top of my head some of the other people that showed up like Mike Love and Bruce Johnson from the Beach Boys showed yeah, up. Yeah, wow. Bonnie Raitt showed up one day. Uh, we had concerts, uh, let's see. Oh gosh. There was, uh, was it Ziggy Marley. Uh, there were some artists that were popular at the time, the fray young, the giant. I mean, there, there was, it was yeah. very, but you had all these different types of artists that would come in. But the, the one that was most in my wheelhouse came in right when I needed it, needed something like that. Yeah. Um, but beyond what I needed. For me, it was it was a cool thing because again, in my mind, there I was that 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 kid that just became a teenager listening to this guy's music, and in my mind, I could I could have closed my eyes in that moment with him mm -hmm. and just been like, man, I'm right there in the backyard or with my my disc man and not in the mm -hmm. summer of '96 listening to this. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, yeah, that's that's my last true wild card. I think yeah, that's a good one. And um, given that, I'm, I'm the, here's what I'm going to do because I've got I've got a couple albums on here that are on there because of the time it was in my life, which is what you're talking about. Um, I'm 93, 94. I am eighth grade in 93, 94. I'm ninth grade, 94, 95, going into high school. So I think we all remember <clears throat> that transition of junior high to high school. Um, it's a it's a few years after. Uh, going through puberty, like you mentioned, and the things changing in your life and, and really becoming aware of things in the world and what it all means. And you're not a kid anymore. But I, I think we we certainly that's it's such an impressionable era of your life, especially musically, because I think no matter what you're listening to, whether you still listen to it now or not, I think there's always nostalgia for what you're listening to then as you're really growing up. And I, I'm going to throw two albums at you that kind of go hand in hand for me. 
two different bands, but I don't, I don't have many notes on these two bands, but I think you'll certainly remember these bands very well in these albums. Number one, 1993, record one, side A, Siamese Dream, Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, yeah. I wore it out. Uh, and, the, and the four songs on that side of that album, Cherub Rock, it's the beginning of the album, Cherub Rock, Quiet, Today, Hummer. And the rest of that album is just tremendous. Billy Corgan's voice was so different. And I remember that, and this is a time where you are really seeing some outrageous music videos on MTV. Uh, I think about today and the music video, and it's the, the ice cream truck and all the bizarre colors and things like that. I remember thinking, wow, this is cool. And you might watch MTV another 30 minutes and see like Black Hole Sun. I'm like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> right, yeah. uh, or, or Unforgiven by Metallica. You're, you're about to wet yourself, you know. <laughs> um, but that album is one that I, I listened to a ton. I just thought it rocked. I, I loved that album. And then really alongside of that, a year later, 1994, Side A, Weezer, the Blue Album. Weezer. I love that. I would have never guessed Dude, that for you, and I love that. I That's wore awesome. that album. My friend of mine named Adam Frazier, uh, he, he's still back in, in Mississippi. We don't really keep touch anymore. He's a, he's a high school teacher. I know we're friends on Facebook. If I saw him, I'd certainly be able to speak to him and catch up. But he was a guitar player, and he was learning guitar, and so he would play Smashing Pumpkins, and he would play Weezer, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. And that side of that Weezer album, my name is Jonas, no one else, World has turned and left me here. Buddy Holly undone the sweater song and Surf Wax America, and it was such a great. Al- and and the, the second half of that album is awesome too. Finishing with Only in Dreams, and it's such a perfect like I'm in high school album. I, I felt like they were singing about high school themes, uh, things that I was feeling in high school. Um, girls that were out of my league, that kind of thing. Cause I'm f- 14 years old and I got the hots for the 18 year old in my <laughs> Spanish class. And she doesn't even know I exist, that kind of thing. Uh, but I thought those two albums, um, when I heard them, I, I loved them and I loved, uh, putting them into the CD player. I remember what the albums looked like. The Siamese dream album was purple and orange and had like the girl's face on there. And then the Weezer album was that really distinct color of like Robin egg blue. Mm-hmm. And I just loved looking at them. I uh, love thumbing through uh, just the uh, the cover and, and reading the lyrics and things like that. But those two albums for that time in my life, I don't still turn them on now and listen to the whole album. I'm not going to just flip on just Buddy Holly or uh, just Cherub Rock. I want to listen to the whole album. And and they those albums are so seamless to me and airtight, and they just hit a genre for me and an era in my life where when I hear them, it's like you said with listening to uh, Fairweather Johnson playing basketball or at the pool. I go back to that time of my life, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, tenth grade ish, where I'm I'm listening to those albums. This I'm gonna take what you just said and I'll say it back to you. This is why we're doing this. Yeah, because I never would have guessed, never would have guessed you would have Weezer on your list ever. And I like Weezer, but I love that. That is that is great. And you that that side of that album is phenomenal. So good. Weezer is, and I love that you mentioned the look of that album. I love that they've done that predominantly throughout their career, like their album covers with the different colors. It's just it's one of those things with a with a great artist, like if you hear or see something by them and there's something about it, like you instantly know that's who it is. Yeah. Because it's their thing, that's who they are. I even love it's it came out three or four years ago now. I think it's the Teal album, uh-huh. their covers album. Uh-huh. If you've checked that out, yeah. it's actually on my list of vinyls I want to vinyl records I want to buy. Uh, in addition to the I haven't got the the album we're talking about here either, but uh it speaks to 
just that, what a good band they are all this time in they take these 10 cover songs that are very differing styles and, and make them their own they're so good I, it's you were in high school at that point i remember my cousin cousin lee she was uh, she's a little older than me she liked weezer and that was the first time i saw that weezer album was she had the cd and i remember i was like that color blue and something about that the album cover just like it grabs you yeah it's different yeah you know it's in your it's in your face a little bit it's almost like the it's kind of the opposite of the music videos at that time where it, their album covers like bright and in your face and rivers is kind of like nerdy yeah looking very much so. and then uh and then you turn on mtv and uh here's alice and chain song that makes you want to <laughs> shoot up and <laughs> cry for eight days yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and i uh, i love alice and chain so that's not, i don't mean to knock them but that but it's it's cool that they made it when they did too, because yeah. it was very, I feel like their sound and everything about them was so counter to what was happening. And Smashing Pumpkins, they're more in like the, the darkish kind of stuff, but they were still very much, there's nobody else that sounds like Smashing Pumpkins. No. You said it, Billy Corgan. Amazing voice. And kind of like, and I mean this respectfully, like kind of weird. Yeah. Like kind of yeah. like that very pale. Especially now that he's bald. He's bald. It looks sinister. He does. It looks like an evil, like a like an evil character in a movie or something yeah. or a TV show. Because they they've got that out, and then they go to Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, which was I'm pretty sure it was a double it was. album. Yep, and that was a lot to, to to go from Siamese Dream to that album was I I, I felt it was very different, but I I liked it, but it's so very different. Very. And then you get to Zero and all that. It's like where are we going with this? Yeah, and I, and I like them all, uh, but it's I just it, it was a fascinating band to watch album to album because it became something where it's like, well, what's this album going to be? This is going to be very different from what you just heard before that and before that. Yeah. If we, if we ever do an episode, I'm sure we will at some point on deep cuts and I, I don't even, I'm just throwing stuff against the wall here, but if there's ever a show we do, where we do deep tracks or deep cuts by bands that we like. One of mine that might be at, maybe even the top of my list, uh, gosh, which it's a smashing pumpkin song. And it was one of the few that was not, uh, sung by Billy Corgan. It was sung by uh, James. Uh, is it Eha? I can't remember his last name. I okay. can look it up. Uh, it's a song called "The Boy," and it is on "Airplane Flies High." Okay, so it's on the box set. Okay, yeah, box set that they put out in '96. They have so many deep cuts. So many deep Gosh, cuts. Yeah. A ton of them. Yeah. So, uh, but. What is it real quick? Do you, if you had a, if you had to pick a, a favorite smashing pumpkin song, which one do you think it would of be? all time? Yeah. Oh gosh. That's too hard. I don't mean to put you on spot. That's what we had to, we had enough trouble getting this episode I, together. With I, that. <laughs> I love today. I love the guitar change in today. Um, I love uh butterfly with bullet. It was a bullet with butterfly wings. Yeah. I'll look, I have that on my playlist that I listen to at the gym when that, the world is a vamp. That comes on. It's like, okay, we're about to lift heavy. It's a rocker. Um, yeah. It is. Um, and, and some of their deep cuts from their first two albums, uh, 33 is a really cool song. Uh, Soma is a cool song. But that, yeah, those are the first ones that come to my mind. Okay. For favorite Smashing I'm, Pumpkin song. I'm going with with kind of a an easy, I guess, chalk pick here, but uh, 1979. Great the, song. The vibe yeah. of that song is unlike any other song yeah. that I can even think of. It it's it hits me right in the field. That and then that deep cut I mentioned, the boy is up there. So, all right. So let's let's. I'm going to give you two here. I'll give you two. I've got four left on my list. I'm going to do two of them together. Yeah. Because the it. the theme 
not in the albums themselves, but of why I chose them as kind of the same. And they're from the same era. So I, again, I did not approach this list with, with, I have to include these artists. That was, that was not part of what I was trying to do, but maybe with these two, it's possible that seeped into my brain a little bit to not have a Zeppelin album and to not have a Skinnerd album on here was, um, felt too weird i did have versions of this i'm list. glad you tr- i'm glad you were suggest- i tried i couldn't do it okay i i for both bands it it took a while yeah <laughs> <laughs> it took some efforting on my part but i finally arrived with both of them at a place where i felt good with zeppelin i started and i'm going all right houses of the holy i'm gonna go one side or the other but i'm like i couldn't decide side a has uh, has the crunch and that was one where i'm just like yes. yeah <laughs> Like, it goes forever. My God, this song, this <laughs> album has eight songs and seven of them rule. And then also there's the crunch. <laughs> no disrespect. Um, but, and I just couldn't decide. And then I had to back up a little bit and I'm like, okay, I'm doing so much of this flashing back and thinking about to when a lot of these bands and artists came into my life or how they impacted me when they came in. I'm like, where did I really start with Zeppelin? What is the gateway drug that got me into Zeppelin? I think I mentioned last week that randomly the first song I, where I was aware it was Zeppelin was Moby Dick, which is not a, a a single or hit or anything. It just, because of circumstances, I became aware of it. But when I myself started investigating Zeppelin, where did I start? And, you know, I don't want to be a person who is like, I, I know music and yeah. uh, you're just picking the popular one. And there's it, well, the real Zeppelin is this album, <laughs> man. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. But I felt myself going that way. But ultimately I had to go back to like, I'm overthinking this. And I came back with, if somebody came up to me and they're like, I've always heard of Led Zeppelin. I don't know any music by them. Can you give me a side? Like, give me a half an album to listen to that gets me started in that. It's easy. Side A of Led Zeppelin four is easy yeah it is black dog rock and roll battle of evermore stairway to heaven and then doing research for this episode i did something i have not done in years i listened to stairway to heaven and it's so great i had not listened to it in years i listened to it so much when i first started learning about classic rock and zeppelin years ago that now and it's like the song that's like everybody knows right and so it's like it had been a long time since i listened to it it just i listen to zeppelin all the time now but usually i'm in Houses of the Holy, or I'm on Led Zeppelin three, or I'll throw in a little physical graffiti or whatever. Like I don't, or if I do have on four, I'm probably listening to side B. Yeah. It had been so long since I really just, just sat it back and listened. Eight minutes of your time. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so long since I sat down, listened to side A and listened to Stairway to Heaven. I was sitting here as a 40 year old going, damn, I forgot how good Stairway to Heaven <laughs> is. It's fantastic. So, uh, the, those three of those songs are what got me. The, I really, if I, if I went back and looked, those three of the four, not counting Evermore, are the ones mm-hmm. that got me into Zeppelin, mm-hmm. got it started. They're all just like, if again, if you want to start somewhere with Zeppelin, those three. And then uh, here is my Yeehaw Junction effect of a song. Battle of Evermore for a long time was always, I never disliked it. Definitely never disliked it. But it was most of the time that I song that I just hit skip on to get from rock and roll to stairway. Yeah. It's a long song too. It's a long song too. It goes on for a while and it's just like, all right, I can, I'll end into it for a minute or two. And I'm hearing the female voice come in. I'm like, I just, all right, get me to the, to there's a lady. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Hit skip. Bonnaroo 2008. 
Allison Krauss and Robert Plant were on the bill and they were doing their, their album Raising Sand, Raising Sands, which ended up winning Grammy for album of the year. Great album, by the way. Uh, all just old American like covers from the, I don't know, 40s, 50s, whatever it was. We'll, we'll get into that some other day, but right. they were there mostly singing that album. And each of them would sing one, maybe two of their own stuff. And the other would harmonize a little bit. They were great. They put on a great show. I'm a huge Allison Krauss fan mm -hmm. as well. The one song, the one Zeppelin song. And if I remember right, again, this is at Bonnaroo. Um, I wasn't on the night train, but I was, I was on the train of, of, of beer or something, <laughs> some kind of boost. And uh, so I, the little, some of the details are, I don't have the whole set list memorized, but the one Zeppelin song I remember them playing was Battle of Evermore. So, Which makes total sense with the two of them. Complete sense. And Allison Krauss singing that harmony or singing the female lead of that song. I remember hearing when she belts into that for the first time live at Bonnaroo on the main stage of 60,000 people, there was a cheer and I felt the goosebumps. Wow. Man. That shot down my body. And all of a sudden the Yeehaw Junction effect happened where I'm like, Oh, it turns out this song. I love this song. Rules. Now. Yeah. I love this song now and I'm not skipping it anymore. So side A of Led Zeppelin four and then Skinner. Skinner was a, a little tougher because for a while, I didn't think there's not that one that's like quite perfect, like I think Led Zeppelin Four is. Yeah. Ultimately, though, I, I feel comfortable with Side A of the, their debut album, Prince yeah. Leonard Skinner, because I think if you want a good, perfect side snapshot of what is Leonard Skinner, same concept of get me. I've never heard a Leonard Skinner song. Where do I start? Listen to Side A, pronounce mm -hmm. Leonard Skinner. Mm -hmm. You're going to get I Ain't the One, which is got that great Skinner sound. You're going to get Tuesday's Gone, which is a wonderful ballad. Great song. Uh, you're going to get Give Me Three Steps, which is that upbeat rock and roll, just vintage Skinnered song. And you're getting Ronnie doing the hey, and like, you know, and yeah. just great guitar. And then it ends with my favorite Skinnered song, Simple Man. Yeah. And Simple Man, this is what solidified it for me. That was already my favorite Skinnered song. I would argue it's their best. That's, of course, subjective, like all of this. Um, but earlier this year, when I got married for uh, the Mother Son Dance, my mom chose that song for uh, for us to dance to. I didn't give her any recommendations. She chose that on her own. And I thought, Simple Man, that's perfect. Because mm. she told me, she's like, if I if I were to have a song that just had a message for you as you start this, you know, as you're getting married and you're starting this part of your life, just listen, look at the lyrics to this song. Wow. It's perfect. So, so yeah. And I, as it, the story goes, that the, the lyrics of that song, from what I've read, were inspired by Ronnie's grandmother. His grandmother. Giving yeah. those lessons to him. Yeah. And it's and you would you listen to it and it's it's like it's from the perspective of the mother, but it was. It was from yeah. his, it was his grandmother gave him those words. And then you hear that and you're like, Oh, I could see my uh see my grandmother saying these things. I think a lot of too. us could. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I had I don't want to say I had a Yeehaw Junction effect with that song. Because I've always loved that song, and it's always been top ten for me. But I I heard it in um, in a little bit of a different light one time. I and and this is kind of a weird. And this is nowhere near as as deep or as impactful as the story you just told with you and your mother. Uh, last year we we're in New York, Braves Mets huge series. This is up there. <clears throat> Jacob Degrom's pitching for the Mets. And I knew that he um, came out to that song, but he it was his first start since coming back from the long IL stint, and the stadium was packed. And keep in mind, I'm not saying that people who live in Queens 
can't be Leonard Skinner fans, but I don't know <laughs> that they can really relate to Leonard Skinner the way that Southern boys like you and I can. Yeah. And when that guy walked out to the mound to warm up for the top of the first inning and that song was blaring through City Field, I thought this is the most badass moment I've ever heard for this song. And I've always loved the song, but it's blasting through and he's and he went on to strike out 17 guys that ball game, by the way. Oh, <laughs> it was not a good day for the Braves. Dang. <laughs> but I remember thinking, like, this sounds so cool being played for a pitcher warming up. And he's got his long hair and he's doing his thing. Actually, you know, he didn't have the long hair at the time. But either way, he's, he's, he's out there getting ready. And it's his first start back and all the anticipation for Mets fans seeing him back out there. And that song playing, I'm like, this is absolutely so cool. And that. um Really, it was so. Now, whenever I hear that song, I think about Jacob Degrom's seventeen strikeouts. <laughs> Isn't it funny? How yeah. that works? It's that's another one of the reasons why we do why we're doing this show is that's such. I think I love about music so much is just you hear a song and it instantly you're, it transports you or it takes you, yeah. reminds you of something, and it's instant. And even if you like, if I asked you to not that song necessarily, but if I asked you to, hey, what are the the words to whatever? song and you're like uh let me think about it but if i started playing then like the music for it you instantly just you know comes it back yeah. it just that part of your brain unlocks like just interesting how hearing a song unlocks these certain things in your mm -hmm. brain uh that's cool there's i've had a lot, there's a lot of moments like that especially in doing what we do we're in a ballpark most nights hearing a song in the right situation blaring through the speakers i'll tell you um there were a couple moments during the World Series in 2021 where a song was playing and not songs that I, I would love or like to say that's like an artistically great song. I, oh, God, what is the the one? It was like a pop song that. Uh, see, I've got it here, even though it's something I would never listen to otherwise because it got played like right before game one of the World Series and I was there for it and it was the Braves. So our, our World Series two years ago. Our World Series, okay. sorry, twenty twenty one. It was. It's so funny. Oh, it's that uh, Kevin Rudolph and Lil Wayne. Let it rock. I oh, would. Yeah. I, remember I, that song. I would never like. Yeah. That. I remember when the song was out. I didn't. No disrespect to any of that. I just. I didn't care about it. But they played it in Houston, like within a minute or two. I think of before the first pitch, and that feeling of looking around. It was one of the few times throughout that run where I looked around and was like, all right. I've been so busy with work. Let me just stop and take this in for a minute and just yeah. look around. So if I ever hear that song on the radio or something, I'm instantly going to be about back. The world series. I'm going to be back in that where I was watching a couple minutes later, Jorge Soler lead off the 21 oh, World Series with a home run. Yeah. So uh, again, that's maybe not the greatest example in terms of the song itself, like being like an all-time great song, but it is something funny that probably, again, if I live to be 95 years old, for some reason, it's part that, of a memory, that a permanent ran, memory. It's part of a permanent memory that's always right there till the day I die. Yeah, yeah. Funny how that works. Let me give you one stairway to heaven story real quick. All right, and this is pretty rewarding. You know, stairway is a song, and lots of Led Zeppelin songs are songs that we knew when we were kids. I not not I wasn't six seven years old, but by the time I was 11, 12 years old, I had heard stairway. Um, so it's a song that I've known about for most of my entire life. Um, I was this was twenty. 11, 2012, 10, 11 years ago, I was dating a girl who was probably about 10 years younger than me. 
horrible taste in music, horrible <laughs> taste in music. And, and I'd listen to the stuff that she listened to. And I'm like, you can't possibly enjoy this. You just can't. It, it's just insulting that you even, why do I like you? Anyway, so to her credit, she said, uh, and I'm such a snob when it comes to this stuff, admittedly. Uh, but to her credit, she says, give me five songs that I probably never heard that I should listen to start to finish. And I said, okay, well, I, I can accept this challenge. And I gave her a list of five songs. And one of them was Stairway. And I said, when you listen to this song, find a really good pair of, of earphones, uh, headsets, whatever. Sit on your couch, close your eyes, listen to the song. Not that you got to listen to it like this every single time. Just do this and just listen to it. And of all the songs that I gave her, she, she liked them all, but she came back and said, I've never heard anything like Stairway to Heaven before. And it was so cool. to, to it's, it's almost like I took this information and passed it down to the next generation. Yeah. And, and it was kind of a proud moment. And there's so <laughs> wait a minute, wait, hang on, hang on. I gotta laugh for a second at the fact that there's a girl you're dating and she was the next generation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, welcome to my life. Uh, uh, it's been uh, a while since I dated somebody of my generation. I but love yeah. you. I love you, Ben. But it, uh, <laughs> I guess ten years younger would be the next generation, would it not? Yeah, yeah. I think so. But yeah. yeah, it kind of felt cool to say this this is what you start here and then just kind of go wherever you go yeah. after that. And and I don't know where she is now. Maybe she remembers that. Maybe she doesn't. But either way, I was able to pass down Stairway, and it opened her eyes to listening to things outside of Usher or whomever she was, <laughs> whoever she was listening to all the time. Uh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is cool when you can pass on something like that to somebody else, and then they they take it and run with it. That's yeah. that's. I, I love that. I love that. Where where are we? Are we with? Uh... We're up. We're, you're up, right? I got two. I got two left. I've got. Let's see. I've got. I've got two left. All right. Um. I'll, and I'll just. Oh, here, we both have we Metallica. Both have Metallica. Let's go Metallica. Okay. Um. Okay. I went. And this was really hard. This was a really really hard decision. Uh. I, I listen to Metallica for so many different reasons, but primarily one of my favorite things to do is go to the gym, pick one of these two albums. There's three albums I'll listen to, but they're two of my favorites to listen to. If I'm in the gym and I'll play it start to finish. Uh, Master Puppets, Ride the Lightning. I went with side one, Ride the Lightning. I, I just, it, it's just tremendous. Fight fire with fire, Ride the Lightning, for whom the bell tolls fade to black. I don't know how you beat that. So, Ben, I, again, as a diehard, I could, this is a number one reason I had to put in a rule, only one album, because otherwise I'd have just had, I'd just brought 11 Metallica yeah. sides with me. But ultimately, I had narrowed down to two sides. Side A of Master of Puppets and Side A of Ride the Lightning. And I went with Side A of Ride the Lightning. That's awesome. How about that? <laughs> so I took that over Master Because Master Puppets is... that's Side A is ridiculous. Side A, if you were starting somebody on Metallica, you would, or if you're a critic and you're listing the best of the best, you're going to go with Master of Puppets because it's the masterpiece. It's the... No pun intended. It just yeah, is. Yeah. It's, by a lot of accounts, it's the greatest heavy metal record of all time. Both sides, phenomenal, not a miss. But for me personally, if I need to, if I've got to choose one, it's going to be side A of Ride the Lightning. Fight Fire with Fire. Metallica is another band that great, great opening songs. That's traditionally something they've done very well. Yeah. Fight Fire with Fire is a friggin' banger. It is it is crazy fast, crazy aggressive. And just the message of it, it's very much the gym. Like the thing you need in the gym, fight fire with fire. Like you're going to, you can go in there and lift up a Buick. Yeah. You know, it gives you that 
Ride the Lightning, the title track is the second track. To me, it's very, it's a perfect like thrashy song. It's a great riff. It's a great live uh, cut. They've been playing a lot in recent years. It's like the second song of the set a lot of times, and it's it's perfect mm-hmm. for that. Third song, For Whom the Bell Tolls, for me, if I were a ball player or a wrestler or something, and I was going to have entrance music, it would be For Whom the Bell Tolls. It would be perfect. And I've been saying that for 20 years, 25 years. Like That would be the one for me. It is great. It is a live staple. You go see Metallica live, they're going to play it, and the crowd's going to friggin' love it every time. The crowd's always into it. It never gets old. It is, it's slower compared to the other ones. But it's in ways, it's of these four we're talking about, it's almost the heaviest. Just sheer power. Just power. Yeah. And it just pounds you right in the face from the, like that gong at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> this was, so from when I got married this year, my, I had to make sure I had my Metallica worked into the wedding somehow. So we had a string quartet and I had the, one of the songs they played leading up to the ceremony was Nothing Else Matters. But for me and Laura's entrance and credit to Laura, like she she was like, you pick whatever you want. Like, you do it, you do it, it's fine. I, I'm good with whatever you want. And I was like, all right, well, for our entrance, when we walk into the reception, we're playing the beginning of For Whom the Bell Tolls. And what was so cool was, you know, I can, we're waiting to go through the doorway into the reception hall. And I had played, for everybody else that was in the wedding party, I had them play um, uh, Sweet Emotion, Aerosmith. Yeah. I think it's a fun, like, yeah. cool, groovy song to walk into. Uh, but then when it came, came time for us, I heard the song start and I couldn't really see anybody in there yet, but the first gong hits and then it hits again. And I started to hear a couple of people like laugh in the audience, but in a, I don't even, I think I knew a couple more. It was in a, they know me. Yeah. And they went, Ricky really just chose Metallica for his entrance (laughs) for his wedding. And and I loved it. I, they got the exact reaction I was hoping for. So we walked into for whom the bell tolls. So I got, that's the one way I was able to work in my entrance music. Uh, and then another big part of what's great about Metallica are these epic, long, like Master of Puppets to me is almost like a, a classical piece of music. Like it has these sections fast and then it slows down and then builds back up. And it's yeah. Uh, but the, there's part ballady, part like epic, long piece. Fade to Black at times in my, over the years, again, favorite songs of all time that can change depending on where you're right. at in life. Like my favorite current Metallica song, it might not be Fade to Black, but consistently, if you check in on me, if you hop in our time machine from last week and check in on me at different points over the last 25 years and ask me what my favorite Metallica song is, Fade to Black is probably going to be the answer more than the others. So if you had For Whom the Bell Tolls at your wedding, you want Fade to Black at your funeral? That's a good way to, I think it's a good way to bookend it, right? Yeah. You, Pretty appropriate. You get started off here and then fade. Well, I was going to say fade into oblivion. You literally just fade into black. You know, I actually, I, th- I believe fade to black. Part of that was written because it's, it's a dark song. I mean, it's, 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 it's alluding to suicide essentially, or just alluding to just being so tired that you're just ready for, for death, which to James's credit now, when they play it live, he always kind of prefaces it with saying something of like, just saying remember if you you know if time if you're having a rough time or you feel alone remember you are not alone we're yeah. all in this together like right. somebody like the, and then they launch it which i like it's a good thing especially the way you know mental health and everything is right now. It's, it's a good thing to say before you play the song uh but i i believe i'm right about this that they wrote uh, the lyrics to this early in their career because this is ride the lightning second album 84 they're not the headlining you know, arena or stadium band at this point, they are still in a van, still opening 
19 year old 20 year old kids like just trying to still make it a lot of their gear uh was stolen somewhere after in between gigs or after a gig and they weren't a band at that point that could just go buy a bunch of guitars or get a bunch or give a company just going to give them a bunch of new amps like right. it was this was a problem this is a serious problem and they just that bummed them out so much that they ended up it kind of inspired that was kind of the feeling that they had that inspired fade to black. That was how they were feeling. That other stuff was, was like, stolen. It's like, just like, yeah. Like what, what wow. are we going to do? Like their, their, their guitars and amps were stolen. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's as the story goes, as I've read and heard through years, that's what inspired them. All right. Let me ask you a question, a Metallica question there. Cause that album, and it's one of the reasons I love listening to it at the gym is I'm, I'm between that master of puppets and, and justice. I love those three albums start to finish the beginning of fight fire with fire. It's like this Beethoven Baroque style classical. How did they do that? What is that? Where did they get other people to play that? Or is that, the, you know what I'm talking? It's oh, not yeah, yeah. like guitars. It's, uh, or maybe it is, but it's like this. No, I think it, I think it is. I think it's, uh, I think it's acoustic. Okay. Uh, it just sounds like something that's out of a, an orchestra or something. It does. It's very, yeah, orchestral sounding. And I don't know if it's like a, if it's dual track, like, acoustics or if it's a 12 string i don't know it does yeah. have a unique it does have, to your point it definitely has that classical sound i i don't know with 100 percent certainty off the top of my head i believe it is just a um here i'll bring it up here like to go from that and then right into the metal right after it's such a cool thing because you hear the the symbol start to crescendo and then boom, here you go. And they're just shredding right out of the gate. Those three albums that you mentioned, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice for All, all three amazing opening songs, but all three have a shared quality or to me a shared trait in that there is this kind of beautiful, really, opening, initial opening thing. Because Master of Puppets is also, and that's straight, you can just tell that's like straight acoustic guitar at the, at yeah. the beginning of and that. That's battery? That's battery. Yeah. yeah, before it goes into battery. Sorry, the album Master of Puppets, but it starts with battery. Yeah. That also starts with an acoustic uh -huh. slow guitar. But it's kind of, it's a little more like, you know the good stuff's coming, even though the first note is uh, acoustic, it's building up to it. Blackened uh, on the Injustice for All, that's the Injustice for All opener. Not acoustic. But it's got this cool, like, little dual electric guitar. It's like they're slowly turning up the volume. Yeah. It's like. It's so cool. Slowly turning up. If you made me choose a favorite opening song on an album, it would be Black. And for that yeah. reason, yeah. it's a, well, the song itself, just just a blistering song. But that first little, like, they're turning up the guitars thing is. It's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's perfect. Um, I don't have it in front of me. I, I'm pretty sure it's just, I think it's just um, acoustic guitars. I don't think there's something special okay. there. So their late bass player, Cliff Burton, who died on the Master Puppets tour in a, a bus accident, he was a guy who would bring, he was the guy in the band who like listened to Bach yeah. and would listen to classical music and would talk about it and would bring it to the other guys. They they, they don't listen to it. Lars might have, because he grew up in a house where his dad was a, uh, was a was not only into jazz music, but was a professional tennis player who also had friends that were like professional jazz musicians and was in that whole world. So Lars might have ended up knowing a little bit of it, but for the most part, Cliff Burton was the guy bringing classical music to to the band, yeah, and introducing that. And I feel like I feel like a lot of that stuff, like that format, maybe even those those little things like the intro to uh, Fight Fire with Fire are. To me, I feel like that's something Cliff Burton brought to the table. If not directly, I think his influence led to them 
doing it that way. Yeah. And really, another thing with talking about Fight Fire with Fire and the side of Ride the Lightning, the jump from their debut album, Kill Em All, to Ride the Lightning in terms of just being artists is huge. Yeah. Kill Em All is a fun album, but it's just a thrash record. The lyrics are not deep, really. I mean, it's a fun record. They're 18 year old kids who wrote this record about just the kind of music that they liked. Right. And then you go to Ride the Lightning and there's the subject matter is much more serious and the musicianship of the songs are on another level. And that side A is what, side A of this album is when they really started to become Metallica, like the right. behemoth that is yeah. Metallica. Yeah. So. I thought we might have something similar. I didn't, I don't know it'd be the exact same side, but I'm glad we we did. I wasn't even sure you'd have Metallica, but if you did, I thought you were, I was guessing you were going side A of Master of Puppets, mm-hmm. maybe Injustice for All, because I know you like Injustice for All. Those too. three are wheelhouse for me. Yeah. I mean, I love the other stuff, um, but if I want to listen to, because I've got a, a, a playlist that I've got when I go to the gym, but sometimes I'll, maybe once a week, I'll break out of that and just play one of those albums. And I mean, start to finish and it's just... It feels awesome. It's great. It really does. Yep. All right. Question for you. Because you, what do you have? One left? I got one. Then we can, like, I've got a few honorable mentions. We'll just run through at the end. But I've got one that's the the number one on my list. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Well, let me throw one out there. And then we'll get to your number one. Then throw out some, um, and this will be really quick. This is, um, this is really, I, I love what we get to do. I love our association with the team. It allows for uh, meeting people and establishing relationships with people that you wouldn't get to normally. Uh, this band over the last about eight months of, uh, some of these guys have become buddies of mine. One guy in particular, uh, we'll text on a semi-regular basis and they're big, big baseball fans. They're all Rangers fans. Uh, so wow. they're on cloud nine right now. Uh, but that's whiskey Myers. And for a lot of people, they've, maybe they've heard of them. Maybe they've heard some of their songs. They had a few songs in Yellowstone. They've been around for Gosh, 12, 13 years, I'd guess. But um, they've had multiple albums. They had a, an album that came out this year, Tornillo, great album. But their album before that, 2019, I'm going to go with Side A, uh, their self-titled album, Whiskey Myers, Die Rockin', Mona Lisa, Rolling Stone, Bitch, and Gasoline. Uh, they are a lot of times packaged as a country group. They're a rock and roll band. And, and they've got uh, a country side to them. Uh, I, I would say they're country guys. They're from East Texas, but they play rock music. And that album is a rock album. And I, I love listening to it. I will crush that album start to finish, but especially the, the first side of that album. Um, I would, I've, I'm, like I said, I'm a big fan of theirs. I've seen them three or four times and I, I follow the band and I followed some of their guys individually and two of their guys, uh, Tony and Jamie, both follow me back, which I kind of nerded out. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got some members of Whiskey Myers following me back. Sure. And when we were in Milwaukee this year, they were playing in Milwaukee the night we were playing the Brewers. And uh, Tony reached out to me and said, hey, dude, I, I see you guys are in town. I'd, I'd love for you guys to come to the show and hang out backstage if we can get there in time. I'm like, absolutely. If we can get a quick game, I'll be there. Sure enough, Braves beat the Brewers. In like two and a half hours. Oh, beautiful. And I jump into an Uber. I shoot down to the venue. We made it backstage for probably the last 30 minutes of the show. And then we hung out and drank beer and, and smoked a heater or two. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a smoker, but I'm like, uh, I'm smoking a cigarette if these guys are offering. Yeah. Uh, and we hung out 
and for probably two hours we talked baseball and we talked some music and and it was just really cool but i was a big fan of theirs anyway uh lots of influences with uh, waylon jennings and hank williams jr and leonard skinnard and um uh, they opened for the stones when uh, us uh, not this past tour for the stones that we went to but the one before they were similarly to how the, the show was in atlanta where they had zach brown open for them mm-hmm. and they're going to different venues and whomever was big in that era or in that area they would get to open for them uh the, which is peculiar why they opened for them at soldier field in chicago but either way they opened for them at soldier field and I love that album, and I'm a big fan of all their stuff, but that album particularly is such a great album. Similarly to how you talk about musicianship and a band uh, coming along and really uh, achieving and making great strides from album to album, I thought that album in 2019 was a, a tremendous jump, and I, I love their previous stuff, but that album was just, uh, to me, just a great rock album. So. I had to throw them on the list uh, because of how much I listened to that album and, and even listen to their current stuff now, their, their most recent album. But to me, that side A of the self-titled Whiskey Myers album 2019 makes my list. Love it. By the way, what a great band name. It's great. just, a, it's yeah, just very cool. cool. Like yeah. it, I feel like it's it's so hard to, when you come up with naming. So if I were starting a band, I feel like that would be just be so tough. Like, how do you come up with something that's A, cool, and not B, not been like done yeah. before? And that's just... Uh, I hear Whiskey Myers. I'm like, all right, I'm going to check this out. Like, it just sounds cool. So that's that's great. I love that. I love too that we've. I wondered uh, when we decided to do this topic next. I wondered if we were both going to end up just like recycling uh, the same. Or, yeah. Well, or if we were going to end up like, a, let's say, if we each did ten, if we were going to end up with twenty albums from the '70s or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I like that we didn't do that. Yeah. That we without planning it either. By the way, we we don't compare notes on this no, stuff before. Show up and go. It's part of what makes this fun for us. Yeah. Um, okay. So that brings me to my last one. So this is, it's a wild card in the sense that I, if for people listening, there's only going to be a minute pe- portion of people that will probably even listen to this band and enjoy it because it's, it, you just have to like this kind of music. Uh, I know you like this band too, heavy metal band, uh, kill switch engage, uh, been around for about 25 years from Boston, uh, great live band. I've been with them. I've been, on on the ride with Killswitch since their first uh, first uh, major label debut, which was Alive or Just Breathing, great album. I think it came out in two thousand two. Uh, but the album for me that's on this list uh, came out in two thousand thirteen. It's called Disarm the Descent. Now, when it came out in April of twenty thirteen, at that time, I think I was much more in a cross Canadian ragweed, red dirt country uh, kind of area and so that was where i was camped out a lot so i wasn't listening to as much metal but when a band like that i liked like kill switch would come out i would at least check it out i liked the first single from the album i remember hearing it when it came out in due time i liked it but beyond that i never really did a deep dive on the album when it came out it just wasn't um i wasn't in that headspace at the time for whatever reason and so so this is 2013 so then let's go to 2014 so 2014 comes around at this point i mentioned the fan cave thing earlier that i was in so that was a big break for me in trying to forge a career path for myself but at this point it's been a couple years since that ended and i still really haven't gotten my career going uh lose my grandfather towards the end of 2013 he and i were very close so that had that had a big impact on me 2014 the calendar turns and me and a guy, I was doing some local, uh, he was an anchor on a local TV station in, uh, in Virginia. And he invited me to start doing like a weekly sports segment where I was kind of like, I'd show up 
on his morning program and do like a fun five, 10 minute, like just recapping the weekend and sports segment. And I would be like the, the fan, the sports fan that was on the couch all weekend. And yeah. I'd give you like a fun look at what happened this weekend. And he and I would just like banter back and forth about the weekend in sports, fun little gig. And so he and I were hitting it off so well, we, we managed to get a, uh, a daily weekday uh, sports radio show. He would do his TV show in the mornings and then he and I would have a two hour uh, sports show on the afternoon. And so this was a big break because at this point I thought I wanted to go into radio or something in that area with sports. That's what I'd been trying to work, trying to work towards. And so this was my opportunity to do that. At the same time at that starting, I got into a new relationship. Uh, and I had been a while up to that point. It'd been years since I'd really been in a serious relationship. So both of these things start happening at the same time. Got the radio gig going. Personal life is kind of going in a, in a different direction than it had been for a while. So things are kind of hunky-dory for a little while. We fast forward to later that year, the radio show, we were still enjoying it, but we weren't making any money. We just, it could not sustain itself anymore. So we had to call it quits. And then shortly thereafter, uh, the relationship I've been in, that also had to be called quits. Right. Um, so all this kind of happens around the same time and i was well let's see it's 2014 so i was uh i just turned 31 so on the not the wrong side of 30 but i'm i'm north of 30 now yeah and so i found myself at a point where <coughs> professionally things are just not going well for me personally things are not going well for me in addition to that i was pretty i was very out of shape very overweight more than i am now so really just not not in a great place and for the first time and thankfully the only time in my life it was i i suddenly found myself in depression and i had always thought like you you get sad or something i always kind of thought well that's that's kind of like being depressed or whatever this was something that was like oh this is different mm -hmm. i'm very lucky that i never like i love life and so i always knew that i would get through this but i'd never experienced this before it was like i would wake up in the morning and I was just trying to figure out like, all right, how do I make it through the day until I can just go to sleep again? Yeah. Cause I was just sad, upset and just could not get out of it. I mean, it was like, it was, it was powerful in that like it, it kind of, it was taking me over and I could not, again, I'm lucky cause I knew it was going to, I would get through it somehow, but it was hell going through it and I could not break out of it. So I went on like this for weeks, just trying to, I remember I would sit there and like, I would find a game or something on my computer just enough to kind of hold my attention <laughs> i remember i would listen to old clips uh these hours long clips on youtube of uh the opie and anthony show which yeah. if you're not familiar they're kind of like a shock jock show people had put together these <laughs> these compilation reels of anthony talking about uh going through his divorce and that would make me feel better because i'm like <laughs> all right well at least i didn't have to go through this in the relationship <laughs> but that was my way of coping because i was i was fighting it man it was tough yeah, it was yeah. really tough so one day i decided you know what i'm gonna work out um i bought a few years prior i bought the uh the p90x like yeah. dvd set yeah. and never used it you know bought it one late one night like i'm gonna get in shape this year and then never friggin' used it so I put pop one of those in one day and I did it and it kicked my ass for an hour. But at the end of the hour, I, for the first time, had felt something I hadn't felt in weeks. And that was relief yeah, and not completely sad and kind of feeling okay. So I kind of became obsessed with working out and getting myself in better shape. So I would wake up each morning, healthy breakfast. I would do a, a hard workout P90X or something else that was pretty high intensity for an hour to two hours and then break 
uh, do what I had to do. Um, I was doing odds and ends jobs at the time to make ends meet. And then every day I would do a second workout. And the second workout was I'd go for a run. And it was usually about 30 minutes, 30, maybe 45. At some point early on in me starting to do these runs, I popped on Disarm the Descent by Kill Switch Engage. And obviously this is just on my phone. So it wasn't like a side of an album, but this, the songs one through six on that album, I listened to these songs every day. And the words of each song, the mood of each song, and in the order they were played in seemed to be perfectly suited to what I was going through. It opens with a song called The Hell in Me. It is a, this is a heavy metal band. Traditionally, their song, Kill Switch Engage song is this. The verses are screaming, like literally screaming. And then oftentimes the chorus is melodic or right. melodically sung uh, by Jesse Leach, the, the singer. The Hell in Me is very much just a, it starts out, the, very, the first beat is like chaos. Loud screaming, drums are going crazy. And then The Hell in Me is just about just turmoil within, essentially. The second track is called Beyond the Flames. Very much I applied it to the relationship that it just ended. It's trying to rise above like the... I won't do a deep dive on all the lyrics, but it's it it was very much hitting me right in the feels with with the relationship that it ended. Uh, the next songs, New Awakening, kind of the same thing, uh, going through turmoil. In Due Time was kind of a the fourth track as kind of a all right, like you're gonna get there in due time. That's the name of it. it's kind by of the, by like, the way these six songs. Yeah, would they? Would you pretty much get through the six songs in the length of your run? I was like, was it perfect? Yeah. That's cool. Every day. Yeah. And I didn't plan it out. It just worked out that way. Uh, Tribute to the Fallen is track five. It would make me think of my granddad a little bit. Yeah. And it's kind of a tribute to those that you've lost. What you're going through now as a tribute to those you've lost, you're not going to be broken by what's going on in your world now. And yeah. that's also in addition to doing it for yourself. It's kind of a tribute to those that that have fallen that are not with you anymore. Like you're making them proud by not letting things affect you. You're carrying on. Uh, and then the last song is probably the, it was the perfect ending song. It's called turning point. And it's, it's literally all about just, okay, this is it. This is the turning point. This is, I'm done with all with, I'm overcoming everything that I dealt with the whole theme of the album. The album is called disarm the descent which is kind of their clever way of just another way of saying redemption, mm -hmm. overcoming. And I actually, in researching this, I, I went back and watched some little mini documentaries and interviews with the guys that what they did when they were promoting the album back in 2013. And Jesse Leach, the, uh, the singer, I thought he had, I, I like that he, I, I wrote down this quote because I liked uh, how he put this. He said, I try to write songs on multi-dimensions where if you're a listener and you're reading my lyrics, you can interpret it one way. And someone else can interpret it a completely different way. And this is the line that I really liked. I think it's important to write songs like that because people's per personal interpretations of what lyrics are, are often stronger than the writer's intent. Mm. And I went back through and I could look, I could read his lyrics out in here and I could be like, oh, I think this is what he's going for. But they are also written just vague enough that you can apply it however you want. And for me at that time, I was listening to those songs in that order every single day on this run. And it was applying exactly what I was going through. My wow. Life. Essentially this side of this album is the soundtrack to the time that I put the broken pieces of my life back together. I mean, that's literally what it was. It will forever be that to me. Yeah. It is loud, heavy ass screaming, heavy metal. Yeah. Uh, but lyrically and everything about it, 
it will always be the time that I got, I got my, my shit together essentially, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, and then shortly thereafter, you know, you fast forward a few months and this is where, whether, wherever you're at with faith or whatever you believe, if you're listening to this, whatever you believe or don't believe in the universe, if you believe in karma, if you believe in God, whatever it is, if you believe in some kind of force that puts you in a place at the right time, or puts you through something and then puts you in the, in the right place at the right time. I came out of this whole experience physically. I was in the best shape I ever was. Mentally, I felt the best I've ever felt. And I wasn't looking for a job uh, with the, the Atlanta Braves, but a prior, prior connection I made with the Braves reached out in uh, March of 2015. Mm-hmm. Said, hey, we got a job that we think you'd be perfect for if you're interested. And it came to me at a time where I was feeling the best I've ever felt about myself. I had more confidence I'd ever had in my life. I could look in the mirror and be proud and happy with who I was. And it was great. It, it, and so this side of this album, man, it is, uh, it's, it's, well, I already said it. It's the soundtrack to where my life changed. Yeah, it, it is. That, and soundtrack it's that side. of you overcoming. It is. It, it is. It is. It was, it was like, it was like this was the side of this album was written for me. Yeah. And uh, when I was doing research for this show, again, this is, I'm running outside every day. I don't, I'm not carrying a vinyl record player with me. <laughs> I'm listening on my headphones thrown through my phone or my, you know, my Bluetooth on my phone. And um, when I was researching, I was going through the list and I went, huh, I wonder what where the side stops on this album. And so I looked up the vinyl that they sold of this and I saw that it was tracks one through six on side A and I'm like, boom, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That, that, that song or that, that album owns a piece of my heart. So I, I know that's probably as deep as I'll ever get on this show, but uh, yeah, that, that album, side A of Disarm the Descent, it's... It's in my soul forever. Love well, that's, and that's what great music is going to do. It's going to hit you in a certain way. And it could be a, a wide variety of emotions, as we've expressed on this show uh, in this episode. But that's why we love these, these albums. That's why we love this music, because it's applicable to certain times in your life where you felt a certain way, and it either made you feel good or it helped you out of a situation. It, it accompanied what you're going through in your life. Um, there obviously there are plenty of examples of songs that coincide with you fall in love with somebody, and those songs are always there as, as kind of mile markers to your journey with somebody. But that's why that's why we love this stuff, and that's why we're passionate so much to even go as far as having a, a podcast about yeah. the music that we love. It's great. It yeah. is. Well, do we want to do some uh, some mop up duty here? Let's yeah, use a baseball term. Some some uh, some honorable mentions. Yeah, there's. I, I tell you, I think some of my honorable mentions are. Maybe there are ones that didn't like didn't affect me as much personally, but I still love them. And there's like, like classic, yeah. like or they're just classic sides of albums. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, side one of uh, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. I've, I've got this. I, I put side one or two or two. You I couldn't do, even choose. You can't even choose that that band and that album, that time in that band's history will forever be fascinating yeah. to me. I was just gold. telling I was telling my wife we were listening to this uh, the other day because I was trying to decide if this was going to be on my list or not. It ended up getting booted for Skinnerd, um, <laughs> <laughs> as as sometimes happens. But I was telling her, I was like, you know, I just don't know how these, I don't know how these people did this. They're all yeah. breaking up with each other, and then shacking up with the other Somebody one. Somebody else, and yeah. they're all working together yeah. and writing stuff about it. And even they can all say that it was like, well, they didn't really consciously know they were writing about it. Come on, yeah. Maybe they were on so many drugs they weren't conscious of Likely. it. But but it's it's a it's an amazing album, both sides of it. Yeah. I chose side one just because, yeah, whatever. Because you but, love Songbird. 
<laughs> Songbird wins the lounge fly award <laughs> yeah. on uh, Fleetwood Mac. Songbird, rumors. no daddy, kept those two. So I was like, I don't. I mean, it's I, they're good. It's just not. If you take out Songbird and you put in the chain, oh yeah. If you take it, yeah. Or if you throw in uh, Gold Dust Woman, yeah. Either take your pick. Come on, yeah. Hey, Songbird. Ugh. I guess let's see. Songbird is Christine McVie, right? Uh-huh. And I, I, I like her too. Yeah. But damn, man, you could have had the chain <laughs> yeah. on there. Come on. Could have. <laughs> I got, let's say, I was going to throw some magic. I got that. I have Side A of Traveler from Chris Stapleton. I had that too. Awesome. I've got uh, Side One of Hard Again by Muddy Waters. Ooh. Out 1977. It's got Manish Boy, etc. I've got uh, Side One Flick of the Switch ACDC. And I have got, um, this was an early count out by me, but I love this out. 2015, Chris Cornell, Side A of Higher Truth. That was his last uh, solo album. Um, I, I love that album. So those are my uh, honorable mentions. Nice. Well, I had, you mentioned Stapleton. I mentioned the, the other Tom Petty albums earlier. Side One or Side A, whichever you want to call it, of Boston. Their date yeah, album. Yeah, so good. That whole album. Yeah. Again, you can flip it over and it's still just, it's like an album of radio hits. Yeah. I couldn't look you in the eye and, and give uh, Michael Jackson an answer two weeks in a row, but side B of Thriller is, is great, is epic. I mean, it's Beat It, Billie Jean, Human Nature, PYT, and then Lady in My Life wins the Lounge Fly Award for, for Thriller. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, uh, have you seen the, the meme? I'm going to sound like an old man because I don't know what the show, what show it's from, but the, uh, the meme of like the, the cartoon dragons. It's like a group of them. Oh, yeah. And the, they're all, the they're, silly one. There's, the- there's, there's all the ones are look fierce and serious and yeah. the ones serious. So here are the serious dragons. Billy Jean, Beat It, Human Nature, PYT. And then Lady in My Life's in the middle over there going, dude. Get his tongue out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, that was on there. Uh, let's see. Oh, I'm not, I'll save this album. I'll save this one for next week with what we're listening to in high school. Side one of Black Sabbath's Paranoid. Yeah. War Pigs, Paranoid, Planet Caravan, Iron Man, Bangers, all four. Airtight. There's, there's yeah. nothing. There is not a damn thing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, you said Traveler. That was on mine. Side A of Seven Dust debut. I think we'll yeah. have to do talk. You and I we both, love Seven Dust. We both love yeah. Seven Dust. So we'll have to do some more talking about that. And then there's literally like 40 others. I mean, <laughs> I've been listening a lot to uh, Queens of the Stone Ages, Side A of Light Clockwork here lately. Or I could go with them. I could go Songs for the Deaf, too. So there's so many. I tried so hard with the Stones. And it makes me feel good that you you didn't have the Stones. I, uh-uh. I, I couldn't tried. do it. There wasn't, there just wasn't that one that was like the one. Yeah. It just, it's all their albums are just peppered with great hits. And it, it was the same thing we were talking about earlier, where if you could take this one from the B side and throw it on the A side, you'd have something. Um, I was close on beggars banquet. I was close on um, sticky fingers. I just couldn't get there. Sticky fingers was the closest I got. Yeah. I, I, some girls I thought about, but I just couldn't get there. Exile, I. I uh, Some which, girls is the perfect example of this because yep. there are th- there are a handful of songs that are awesome, and there's a couple, two, three songs on that album. Like I hit skip over every time. Yeah, if, if like when the whip comes down, and yeah, oh, you don't like when the whip comes. And down? It's just not my thing. I actually kind of like that one. That's um, been more of a recent thing. And though. there was maybe I'm still waiting on my 
on my uh, Yeehaw, Junction, my Yeehaw Junction effect on that one. Well, they haven't announced it yet, but I think they're going on tour again next year. So when we go, maybe they'll do that fan vote like they did last time. Yeah, we saw and them. we'll get to see them play, it. and we'll vote for when the whip comes down. <laughs> just to, we're gonna we're gonna test our hypothesis, in right? Person, so. Well, buddy, I thought that this week, surely we weren't going to go two and a half hours. And I was right. We went two hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to be doing this more than not. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. That's us. So next week, we're going to do uh, songs you were listening to in your high school or your senior in high school. Senior year in high school. I love that. So what were you listening to? Cause, well, and what year was that for you? Uh, it was fall. I started fall of 2000, graduated June 2001. Okay. And yeah. I'm fall of 97, graduated May of 98. So. Okay. Pretty close, and there, there's some stuff in there that I will be extremely embarrassed to admit. Same. And other stuff that I still listen to now, so that'll be fun. I think it's going to be a fun exercise, and we're going to go back and say, all right, does some of this hold up? <laughs> does any of this hold up? Uh, but it's going to be fun. I can't wait. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, Enjoy thanks. it, brother. Yeah, you too, buddy. All right, we'll see. If he's Ben, I'm Ricky. We'll see you next week right here at Yeehaw Junction. <laughs>